Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yakuza. Yakuza. Yakuza Kick Radio. 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 The Yakuza Kick Radio. This is the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. And if there's one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio, Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and babies, Jesus! Help us. Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah, Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Fine, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, bearded dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, probably watching porn and have this muted. You should be listening to it, Jason Mann. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you got me. Now look at that jockey, homie. Fuck that. Black D. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. It is Wednesday, August 5th, 2015. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, J. Cal Morris. Listen, um, I got a bunch of stuff to cover tonight. Um, around the 10 o'clock hour, a little bit after, uh, Rory Gulak will be calling in. He will be my guest for this evening. Right now, he's wrestling over at the uh, CZW Dojo Wars. So, I figure, you know... Let him call in in the second hour because that you know that helps his schedule out, and I don't you know I don't mind doing that. Uh, you know I have I have lots to talk about, so covering uh, the time shouldn't be a problem. Um, and I got a couple you know <clears throat> songs to play, or whatever. Um, first things first is um, 
obviously, you know, we lost another one of our legends. I mean, we're really running out of wrestling legends. I mean, it's, um, it's really unfortunate. And, um, it's even, it's even sadder because, um, you know, we lost Roddy Piper. We lost, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, one of the best heels to ever work in the business. Uh, the guy was one of the best trash talkers you'd ever find. Uh, you know, just, just legendary work. Um, he was just one of those guys that just really stood out from the crowd. He always, you know, made a mark wherever he was. You know, he was a big fucking deal. He always was. And, um, I mean, he's going to be missed, man. Um, you know, the hardest thing about this, man, is like even like, I think it was like something like 10 days before my buddy Paul over there, uh, you know, he takes fake pictures for uh, 1CW. You know, he he took pictures of the last uh, Piper's Pit. You know, they they brought him in. They did a little, you know, Piper's Pit thing. And, um, you know, he was in good spirits. And, you know, he he was, you know, (laughs) surely didn't look like he was going to go. You know, and um, he does a podcast. And uh, he did a podcast just a couple weeks ago. No, I mean, you would have never thought like, hey, oh, man, he sounds terrible. Oh, somebody, you know, you know, say a prayer for I mean, the dude was just really on top of his game. I mean, he just completely seemed all right. And it was really sudden, you know, died of a heart attack. You never know with that shit, man. That shit just fucking takes you. And, uh, you know, it's a really, really uh, big loss to the wrestling community. He he definitely, um, you know, made his rounds a lot. And a lot of people have a lot of stories of learning from him and stuff. And he was one of those guys that really gave back a lot. Um, so, you know, that much can be said for him for sure. Um, and like I said, we're running out of fucking legends, man. When you got, you know, guys like Roddy Piper and, and Dusty Rhodes and, and these just guys just keep dropping and it's 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 uh it's a shame it it really is i mean i don't know uh better way to put it it's just uh it's a damn shame to lose these true true legends so uh you know rest in peace roddy piper um you know coming off of that i went back and uh you know i had his podcast on my itunes and i had some episodes on my uh ipod I hadn't really, um, I listened to the, the Ronda Rousey, uh, podcast that he did because, you know, she's, uh, Rowdy Ronda Rousey and he's Rowdy Roddy Piper. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where she got it from. And, um, you know, so it was interesting to hear him talk to her and stuff and, you know, give her his blessing and all that. And, uh, you know, he was really interested in talking to her and talking about everything she was, you know, doing and. So that was cool. I listened to that. And I think I might have listened to like one or two more. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't, I mean, I'm, I fall behind on all podcasts. So I wasn't on top of it like on a week-to-week basis. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's crazy, especially, you know, with these podcasts. Everyone's got a fucking podcast. Um, you, you imagine how much more profound everything becomes. I mean, in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden, you know, hey, man. There is, you know, a good stretch of podcasts. You could hear Rowdy Roddy Piper talk about all sorts of topics and how he felt about this and that. And, you know, you take it for granted, but when they're gone, all of a sudden it becomes that much more profound. 
I mean, you have that much more of Rowdy Piper beyond his career. You get to hear him sit down and talk for an hour with a bunch of different wrestlers. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, his co-host just just sit and talk, you know, about different things and how he felt about this and feels about that. So anyway, I decided, you know, obviously with his passing, I wanted to hear a little bit more. Um, and I went into this not knowing about the Stone Cold Steve Austin situation. I... So I clicked on the one that said Stone Cold Steve Austin because I said, well, you know, this this is going to make for a good podcast, right? So I listened to it and come to find out this isn't a Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, interview. What it is is the beginning of a controversy, which was um, Stone uh, – well, Will Sasso, who, uh, you know, he's – he was on Mad TV. Uh, he was in the Three Stooges. He, you know, I know him most from Mad TV. And um, dude does amazing impressions of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So um, he came on, and he does a bunch of wrestlers, but Stone Cold really sticks out. He even did it on Mad TV, and they brought on Steve Austin and you know did a little back and forth and stuff like that. So you would think there was definitely no heat or anything like that. And I think he's actually friends with Steve Austin. So... The whole thing comes off very, very strange, but um, he came on and Rowdy Piper had him doing just, uh, Rowdy Rowdy Piper just had him doing the Steve Austin thing as if he was interviewing Austin. He had Hacksaw Jim Duggan call in and um, completely ribbed him, having the quote-unquote Austin fuck with him you know, and really go at him and stuff like that and got him all riled up. And then he, you know, he later told him like, Hey, no, 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 you know, that, that wasn't really him type thing. So, you know, he let him in on it and all that. So it wasn't anything hanging out there where, you know, Oh, you know, he left it with heat or anything like that. Um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, it was just strange because what came from that, was the um, the company, which was Podcast One, was hosting both uh, Roddy Piper's podcast as well as Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. Apparently, Stone Cold Steve Austin got pissed off, got legitimately pissed off about the whole thing and freaked out. And Rowdy Roddy Piper's show, that episode got pulled off. It was up for like a couple hours. It got pulled off. Not only that, Podcast One decided they wanted to drop him from Podcast One altogether and not host any of his shows. And um, I never leave my Facebook open like this with the volume on, and I do it. I'm doing it right now, and it's it's definitely distracting. So I I might have to change that. But uh, anyway, um, so they they. We're going to drop them from podcast one. They ended up changing their mind and saying, uh, yeah, we'll keep you on. And at that point, Piper was like, listen, man, I'm a grown-ass fan. If I'm going to be, you know, walking on eggshells or worrying about this kind of this bullshit, and if you guys are already holding the flame to me like this, I don't want to be a part of this. And that was that was pretty much parting ways between him and podcast one. He uh, started on a new server, and um, – I think that's the proper term server. Um, and then, uh, you know, immediately put out something saying, hey, man, you know, I didn't mean any harm. 
I, I thought it was the funniest fucking episode I've ever done. I, I stand by it. And you know what? Fucking, I'm going to go ahead and play it because Podcast One wouldn't do it. This is what they, they fucking kicked me out for, more or less. And I, I'm just going to go ahead and play it. So I, I listened to it. And, um, because that's how I listened to it when he replayed it, not not the original one that was up for a couple hours. And um, I think the original one was done a couple months ago. So, um, you know, you go and listen to it, and it's hilarious, man. Like, Sasso just fucking nails it. And he's doing all those uh, references um, when he's saying, uh, what the fuck is the name of the dog? God damn it. Now I forget. Uh, shit. I forget. uh Steve Austin calls his one dog something the Wonder Dog and you know uh, Hershey Hershey the Wonder Dog and you know oh man he's going on and on and um it, it's just really funny and you know and Piper you know put out his uh kind of disclaimer even the show afterwards I listened to uh where he had Lanny Papo on and um he just said listen you know I just want to put this to bed like Steve you know I've always enjoyed your career I've always enjoyed what you've done out there in the ring you know i still don't understand what the big deal is but i never meant to hurt anybody i never you know meant any ill will by what i did or what i put out there i hope i didn't you know really hurt anybody's feelings but you know i just i just don't see it and uh i still think it's funny and you know he just kind of stood by it but i just i thought that was complete bitch-ass bullshit out of fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin, especially when it comes to respecting a fucking veteran like Rowdy Piper. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper has always been like a loud mouth, fuck with you, you know, smart-ass kind of guy. So to not let this guy do his fucking thing, a fucking legend in the business, to not let a guy do his thing like that and just let it ride like, to get to the point where you get pissed off and more or less go tell the teacher and shit because you go and you go and tell fucking uh, podcast one like pull that shit down like get the fuck out that's some bitch ass bullshit man it, it's so irritating so irritating that everybody on this fucking planet at this point has to get butt hurt over everything I've seen some of the quote unquote thicker skin people get. Super butthurt. Just, you just have to find the right topic, and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, well, but that's going too far. And it's like, no, it's not. not why is everything too far? Why is there always a fucking limit on words? We're going to get into some fucking words in a little bit, too. Because I got a couple things to talk about, you know, with this Hogan thing, too. Um, this Hogan thing's going to drag out for a while because, um, you know, we're losing the fucking good legends. The other asshole is just running his fucking mouth and being racist and all this. But but either way, I have a couple thoughts on that. But anyway. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was complete bitch-ass behavior with Steve Austin. And I don't know if it was squashed. I mean, we're talking a couple weeks before his death. This shit was still going on. So I, I don't know if it was squashed. I don't know if there was a resolution to it. I'm actually going to have to go back and listen to Steve Austin's podcast now because um, – I gotten tired of it because it was just too gimmicky. It was the same old, oh, down the kitchen, down the road, and then I'm driving the truck, and first you the Wonder Dog's doing this. I got a shit in there, you know, motherfucker. And, you know, it, it just, it was real gimmicky. It got tired. It was the same old, just just running laps, just running redneck laps around my ears. And, it was, you know, eventually you're like, all right, enough already. But, you know, this is, you know, I get it. I get it. But, um... 
so the other thing that I actually just saw uh, today, someone had tagged me in it, and um, this is this is a separate situation, uh, and it, you know, linked to to Roddy Piper. This now, look, man, I um. I gotta say, like allegedly, with a lot of this, because I don't, I don't really fucking know. I wasn't there. Everybody could speculate on this. I, all I know is here. Here's the deal. Um, the guy, there's a guy, uh, Christopher Ott. He does, um, you know, graphic, graphic art for, um, I, I guess, for a bunch of different things. But he did some graphic art for. Um, Roddy Piper, um, and he had, I, I guess, just done them. I guess he just done them um, after Roddy's death. He had a, he had them at the Monster Mania convention over the weekend. This is what he just put out there today. Now, again, this is what someone else posted. This is what the artist posted. He posted this. If you happen to go by the booth that had Ted DiBiase there this weekend, here's a heads up. Rob Feinstein came on Saturday morning and bought all of my Roddy Piper art prints. Now today he's selling them signed. I find this to be despicable. We cannot tolerate frauds that want to benefit on fans of a passing celebrity. I spoke up on this post, and he deleted me and everyone else that called him out. Share this info with everyone you know. This is unacceptable. Okay? So that that is what what the artist put out there. Now, um, I also want to read the initial post by Rob Feinstein, and I think this is very important. Because I'll tell you Rob's um, excuse for this. Again, I don't think you block the artist. I, I don't think, you know, you just immediately, you know, you know, delete you and, you know, all of that shit. I, I don't know if you go through that stage of things if you have no guilt. But, again, it's been a long time of Rob Feinstein doing things that don't really coincide of innocent people. But that's that's a separate situation. Listen. Here's here's what Rob Feinstein's post selling these are. Pay attention to the words. <clears throat> Our last piece of Roddy Piper autograph merchandise are these eleven by seventeen art prints, sixty dollars each. <clears throat> and then it says, if you want one of these shirts, I don't know why it says shirts, but if you want one of these shirts, contact me by sending me an email in my inbox. Do not tell me you want one in the comments. Just message me direct on here, and I will respond to you tonight. Now, if you notice in that statement there, it does not say we also have unsigned versions for X amount of money. Not I have... X amount of signed, and when those run out, I do have more unsigned. It says nowhere in there anything remotely close to that. Um, 
So I I I don't know. I, I feel really um I feel really uh really strange about it, you know, because I I'm still reading the comments. Comments are still happening, so I'm I'm trying to, you know, catch up while I'm doing this, which is a terrible idea. But um listen, so here's what uh let me see if this is the newer thing that he posted. Maybe not. Okay. Go back. Sorry, this is kind of difficult when, uh, you know, I'm trying to, to read it and get through the comments to the part where uh, Rob Feinstein posted his um, his excuse. Uh, let me let me see. Here's what he posted. Da, 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 da. Okay, here's what he just posted. This past weekend during a convention we attended, we traded for a few Roddy Piper autograph art prints. We traded DVDs for the signed art prints during the convention and also purchased unsigned prints from the artist himself. We were informed by the artist that there wasn't any Roddy Piper signed prints could have been done as they were just released. We would like to apologize for this oversight as we will never purchase or trade autographs again that we do not see signed ourselves. Unsigned prints are still available for $30. Um, And then it says we have a very limited amount of these 10 by 16 unsigned posters that we got from the artist. If you want one, they're $30. Please contact us and let let us know. For what it is, I don't know. He's saying that somebody else at the convention bought these from the artist, signed them, and then traded them to him for DVDs. And then he went and bought more that weren't signed from the artist. The artist is straight up saying, I sold them to him unsigned. Now they're signed. That's what happened. So I don't know. Again, I mean, it's alleged because I wasn't there. I didn't see what happened. All I know is if that dude, one way or another, someone forged the signature of Rowdy Roddy Piper through his death for a profit. Whether it was the guy, the the unknown, unidentified guy who was trade, quote-unquote trading these things for DVDs at a convention and somehow nailed the Rowdy Piper, Rowdy Roddy Piper signature, if it was that guy, then that guy needs to be found and pointed out and fucking and and held responsible for this because of the disgrace. It's not even just forgery. Forgery is bad enough. It's disrespect to the dead at this point. You know, this, this is way fucking worse. And if it's that fucking, I think Rob Feinstein's a scumbag. I do. I don't know if this is true or not. I'm basing that on just what I think he is. I think he's a scumbag. That's my personal opinion, and I can have that. 
fucking wrestlers out there who take fucking umbrage with me. They they don't fucking like me because I think that, and that's their boy, and that, and I don't give a fuck what they think because that's not that's not for them to fucking make the decision of. Not everybody likes everybody. I don't have to like him. I don't have to do anything about it. Contrary to what my pe- some people might believe, there's a lot of people in this fucking world I don't like. I just don't like them, and I keep the fucking move. It's as simple as that. But as far as his credibility goes, I, I, I wouldn't give him a ton of credibility. Again, I don't know if he did this or not. I just think it's fucking horrendous that somebody would do that for any sort of profit, whether it's DVDs or fucking marking something up thirty fucking dollars because he was signing, he, he, he was selling them. For fucking sixty signed, and now he's selling them for thirty unsigned. And the the thing that makes me suspicious is the fact that he wasn't offering unsigned pictures. He was only offering signed prints until he got called out, and now he has unsigned ones. I I don't know. I don't know. I I also again speculation. I don't know shit. But I think a guy who sells fucking autographs for a living, DVDs and, and all that, and autographs for a living would know a guy's signature a little better than just some jerk-off who wants DVDs from Rob Feinstein. But again, I don't know anything. I just think the entire thing is despicable for anybody to do that in the name of fucking Rowdy Roddy Piper directly after his fucking passing. So if it's not Rob, if it's the fucking dude that he traded with, Rob needs to fucking expose the shit out of that fucking dude. He absolutely needs to expose the shit out of that dude because, come on, man, how many times is shit going to happen where it's like, this this fucking happened, and Rob Feinstein, and Rob Feinstein, and it's like, nope, don't know the whole story, but I'm only going to keep that between me and that person, you know, and then it just, it never gets fucking blown up. Big shit happened. And then it's just like a secret. The the real story where he's innocent was just a complete secret. Unless you're his friend and then you know the real innocent Rob story, you know, on the other topic. But either way, you know, I'm hoping this one goes fucking public. He should fucking be on the goddamn news with this fucking shit saying, dude, this fucking guy palmed off fucking false fucking autographs of the late great Rowdy Roddy Piper for fucking DVDs. Find this motherfucker. You should ban him from fucking wrestling shows. And if it's Rob's bad, he should be banned from fucking wrestling shows. He shouldn't sell another fucking item at a wrestling show. Shouldn't be allowed a vending table any fucking where. But somebody should get to the bottom of it. Somebody who's way more involved with the wrestling business than me because I'm just a fucking guy with an opinion that sees shit as I fucking see it, and it is what it is. My opinion really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's just a matter of me saying, hey, man, someone's defrauding a guy who just fucking passed. When the fucking Monster Mania convention started, Rowdy Roddy Piper might not have been in the fucking ground yet. And someone was forging his signature. And regardless of who, that person should fucking burn for it. So that's that's just how I feel. Maybe I'm fucking crazy thinking that, but it is what it is, man. You know? And I, I'd say the same fucking thing if Rob wasn't involved. Somebody is fucking up. And that shit is beyond fucking wrong as far as shit goes. 
So, all right. Um, let's let's uh, jump from this to the UFC. UFC 190 or something like that. Um, I'm not a huge UFC fan. What I can tell you is I am a big Ronda Rousey fan. Um, I, I have a bunch of opinions on this. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the things that uh, my dude Michael Rappaport said on his I Am Rappaport podcast. I agree with a lot of the things he says. And, um, and then I also have more to talk about with the pay-per-view. Now, Ronda Rousey went in there and just mopped the fucking floor with this broad. Um, 34 seconds, I think it was, she knocked her the fuck out. Everybody, you know, would pin her. All she could do is armbar. All she could do is armbar. She knocked her the fuck out in 34 seconds. And this chick was um, painted as as a big fucking brawler, boxer, you know, striker. That's what she was. And Ronda went right in there and beat shit out of her. She um, she went in there. She talked shit about Ronda's father, you know, saying, uh, oh, I hope, you know, when I beat Ronda, I hope she doesn't go kill herself, you know. I mean, Rhonda's father killed herself, himself, I should say. Um, you know, and has just been overall disrespectful. Was beating her friends and doing the four horsemen thing, and like dropping the, dropping the four horsewoman thing, and dropping like one finger every time she beat one of them. Yeah, I mean, like she, she's been running fucking mouth for a while, and this and that. And, and Rhonda just went in there and just fucking mopped the floor with her. She kept saying that uh, she wanted to. Um, she wanted to make it last. She wanted to punish her. She wanted to make it hurt. And if you look, when um, when she first started getting in there and hitting her, I think it would have ended earlier. But it looked like Ronda tried to hold her up to hit her more because she started to go down. And it looked like she held her up to try to hit her more because she wanted to finish her striking. And, um, yeah, and then she just she knocked her the fuck out. Uh, Joe Rogan said it looked like uh, – it looks like she got shot by a sniper, which was true, man. She just went down on the fucking uh, straight out of Compton logo. And, um, yeah, man. Um, but now here's the thing. Ronda Rousey is being given a lot of praise and accolade and all very well deserved because she is the most dominant MMA women's MMA fighter there is out there. Um, the big problem is, is she's a trailblazer, you know, if you're the first bad motherfucker to show up and you start mowing through people who don't belong there, eventually another bad motherfucker shows up. But as far as I can see, nobody else has shown up yet. It's, it's her and a bunch of bums. Like, these broads aren't even in her fucking league. None of them. Um, and, you know, to do the comparison that Rappaport said is like, you know, Bill Russell. I mean, there's some fucking mediocre NBA players right now that would have fucking won probably as many championships as Russell won if they played back then when there was no competition. You know, Jim Brown ran the fucking ball against people who could have been your fucking uncle on the other side of the fucking field. Of course, you get a couple legends and this and that, but the caliber of athlete back then was nothing compared to what you're dealing with now. And there is probably going to be 
10 years, 15 years down the road, Ronda Rousey is going to be sitting on the commentary table commentating absolute wars in the female female MMA and saying, I wish I could have had this type of competition when I was fighting. I, I just feel like that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. Ronda Rousey is a, an inspirational figure. She's an absolute monster at what she's doing. Um, she hasn't been tested. She really hasn't. There's nobody out there of her caliber right now. I'm not saying there's never going to, you know, uh, be another person that comes around as good as her. I don't, I don't believe that. I think nobody out there right now can touch her. But women's MMA is in its infancy. So she's an absolute trailblazer. She's going to be, you know, the she's the bar. You know, anybody training in the upcoming years is going to look at Ronda Rousey as the height of where you can be in women's MMA. Um, you know, Rogan is going out of his way and calling her Muhammad Ali and this and that. Listen, but Ali, you know, took losses. Ali went in there and he fought fucking Frazier and, and he had wars in that fucking ring. Where Ronda Rousey hasn't had wars. She's just dominant. She's just knocking bitches out and, and, you know, and tapping them out. So I'm not taking anything away from her. I'm a huge Ronda Rousey fan. When I first started, because, again, I'm not an MMA guy, um, I, uh, when I first saw her, I think it was her fight with uh, Misha Tate. I think that was the fight. And I just didn't like her attitude. It was like a bang-out fight. It was her second fight with her. I think I didn't. I don't think I seen the first one, and um, she didn't. She didn't want to shake her hand after that. I didn't find out till later on that she was like hugely disrespectful going into the fight. So when it came down to Ronda winning, Ronda was like, "No, fuck that. We're not gonna play respect game now." And you, you didn't respect me before. You know what I mean? So that I completely understand if that's if that's what happened. And it seems, you know, she's completely on the up and up. She's a complete motivational figure. She's um, an inspiration to many people. You look at, I mean, she's been through, um, you know, drug addiction. Um, She's been through, you know, the weight loss problems, you know, uh, struggle with that, that shit earlier on in life. She had her father kill himself, you know, like just, just crazy shit went on in her. And she got to the level that she is by busting her fucking ass and she continues to do so. You know, and it, it to me, it's it's phenomenal what she's doing out there. Unfortunately, like I said, there's there's just no competition for her. Um, I mean, you know, goddamn well that if Ronda Rousey isn't isn't it, remove Ronda Rousey, point out another women's MMA fighter that can main event a card that's going to sell tickets, that can main event a card that's going to sell pay per views. There isn't one. There isn't one. If you put Ronda on the other side of the ring and you spend a month and a half hyping up how, how bad the other chick is and then Ronda wastes her, well, then you can get some money off of Ronda being up top because she's worth the draw. She's a draw. But, um, you know, that's that's about it. And, you know, the other thing I, I got to say, man, this fucking UFC shit – these these companies really need to come to their senses. This goes to wrestling companies. This goes to 
MMA companies. Vince finally fucking got it. Vince fucking got it, and he came up with a system. I didn't fucking pay for shit as far as WWE pay-per-views. I would either, quote-unquote, borrow it from somebody who was paying for it, and I would watch what what they were doing, or I would, you know, or I would watch it another day. But I wasn't paying for it. And, you know, and why? Because it was a fucking, it was a February WWE pay-per-view. And it was fucking $50 or $60 for HD or some shit like that. What are you out of your fucking mind? That's fucking crazy. And a lot of these pay-per-views, it's not bad if you have, you know, four friends or five friends and you throw five, ten bucks in a piece. Not bad. Your $50 price tag isn't bad at all if you have five people and you go ten bucks each. No fucking problem. But just imagine you're a family. And you're just talking one fucking income. And then you're, you know, you're talking one person's fucking pocket is opening and $50 is coming out. Okay, now let's go further with the MMA. Fucking 10 o'clock start time on all these MMA joints. You're paying fucking 50 fucking dollars. And the bitch don't start till 10 o'clock at night. Now, I know a lot of it's time zone because a lot of shit goes on in Vegas and elsewhere or whatever, but, I mean, you got to fucking work it out because to start at 10 o'clock and your main event doesn't go on till 1.30 in the morning, dude, I mean, you can call me old, you can call me what the fuck, man. I'm hyped up at the beginning going into this shit, and by fucking 1, one o'clock, I'm fucking struggling to fucking stay awake for the main event. The only reason I want to watch this shit is the main event that I'm now fucking fighting to keep my eyes open for. I can't be on my feet for this. I can't be amped. I can't be anything. I'm struggling to keep my fucking eyes open. I mean, I'm not ancient. I'm 37. At this point, I'm past my fucking night owl stage, man. I work six days a week. And I know I'm not the only one that's like, Jesus Christ, it's fucking late. And that, I mean, that shit could have been a lot longer. I mean, if, if some of those other fights went, three rounds or some shit. Fucking, it could have been two o'clock when it, this shit started. It, it's fucking nutty, man. And um, I'll tell you what, the fucking replay the next day is still being charged fucking $50. 50 fucking dollars for the replay. And you know what? You want to know what's funny? Because people could shit on piracy. They could, they could shit on torrents. They could shit on this. They could shit on that. You scroll down Facebook. Facebook has a thing where if you scroll and kind of hover over a video, you don't really have to click on anything anymore. The video just kind of starts playing. The full 34-second Ronda Rousey video, as I'm scrolling down my news feed, would just start fucking playing as I'm scrolling down because there's like three, four people who posted the whole fight. So without even wanting to pirate this shit, you can see the pirated shit, like, without attempting to see it. Or you can go on your TV and pay $50 for the fucking thing that everybody has already leaked the fucking spoiler to. Everybody is fucking posting on their wall. But you can just go signing off here. $50, Comcast. Here you go, my good friend. And fucking sit there and, and to watch 34 seconds in the end for $50 fucking dollars. At least be fucking, 
I know they're not going to budge off this fifty dollar thing. I'm not going to, you know, start some kind of revolution that they're going to, you know, back off of their pay per view fees. I I know that, but people aren't going to stop fucking getting it for free because of that. You know, it, it's not not cheap. Not everybody has fifty dollars to fucking stay up till one thirty in the morning, struggle to see a thirty four second fight. And, and I'm not even shitting on the length of the fight because, man, I, you want to put your fucking opponent away. You can't blame the fucking fighter for putting their opponent away. I mean, sure, there's no competition. We could talk about that. But, again, she's a draw. Her fighting is a draw. If you own a company, you put her in the fucking main event because she's a draw. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with from the UFC standpoint. There's nothing. But what I'm saying is, you know, fuck, man. You put it up for $50, once it's done, none of you motherfuckers have Facebook accounts to click on that shit and see it floating all over the fucking Facebook 34-second clip. I mean, that shit's short enough. You could put on one of those fucking uh, those, uh, Snapchats or I think those, don't they have like short videos or Vine? Vine, I think Vine does that shit where you're only allowed a certain amount of seconds. You could fit the fucking fight, the whole fight on a Vine. I think. I don't know how many seconds you get, but I, I think you could do that. 34 seconds. they got to give you 34 seconds, right? So you could fit that shit on a vine. And um, so many fucking social networks. Uh, anyway. Um, I mean, you can't fucking put it $50 live and the replay will be fucking, you know, 20 bucks. I mean, even that's a little rough for something that's already leaked on the internet and already everybody told you who's winning, you know? And I mean, shit, I would start at the very next fucking, the very next airing of it. You fucking, you watch it live, it's $50. There's value in live entertainment. There's absolutely value in live entertainment. And and I find it insulting that, that someone would, devalue live entertainment to the point that it's like, well, it's $50 live and it's $50 if it's not live. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's clearly more valuable live. And that goes for every form of entertainment. You know, fucking, do you enjoy the fucking, uh, you know, the Super Bowl the following day? No. Everybody has to watch it when it's fucking happening. I mean, occasionally I hear a guy who can, you know, DVR or or videotape their game and fucking hide yourself from every form of media to watch it the next day. I, there's a few people I've, I've known and talked to like that. I never understood them, but to each their own. I can't avoid it. I need to know. I want to watch every second of my Niner game, but if I'm not watching it, I'm finding out what happens. I have to find out what happens. Even if it's the score, someone tell me the score. I got to know the score. You know, like I'm, I'm all about the live product. I would even go, like I said, the very next showing after that live showing, fucking price drop. Because, fuck, man, the main event starts at 1.30 in the morning. If they start playing it right after that ends, the fucking thing starts at 1.30 in the morning. By the time the main event rolls around, I mean, we're talking 4 in the morning or some shit like that. I mean, are you really going to go, oh, well, they're just waiting, watch it. Are they really going to watch it at that time? I mean, come on. You know, I mean, it, it just, it baffles my mind how this fucking shit, and, and you know, the same thing goes for fucking CZW. CZW is going to go to fucking pay-per-view. 
they're going to go from their normal eye pay-per-view thing where it's very reasonable to pay for an eye pay-per-view, and they're going to go to fucking pay-per-view. And you watch the fucking price jump up, like Ring of Honor's fucking crazy-ass fucking price jumps up, and, dude, it's fucking – it's torrented all over the fucking place. I'm not telling you that's the right way to go about things. I'm not telling you, hey, this is the way to go or this is what I'm doing or anything like that. But you got to know what's happening, and you got to fucking – you got to put the ball in your court. And that's what WWE did. They fucking put up nine ninety nine the fucking network. I pay for every fucking WWE pay-per-view. I can say that with great fucking confidence because I got the fucking network and I watch every pay-per-view. I don't watch any Raw anymore. I, I haven't in quite some time. Um, I watched, like, the opening segment with the Piper thing, and that was pretty much it. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I pay for every fucking WWE pay-per-view now. Like I said, back in the day, I mean, at most, I'd order fucking WrestleMania, maybe, like, fucking Royal Rumble or SummerSlam, but those were few and far between, and at most I would order Mania. That's it. Now, every one of them fucking paid for. I CZW has their new network type situation, but I don't know if that's covering the fucking upcoming pay-per-views. I don't think it is. I'd go out on a limb and say it absolutely doesn't. Um... So, I mean, we'll see. I I still think the Sunday night thing is completely fucking asinine, too. They can fuck themselves with Sunday night as far as live live attendance goes. Either you're going to get a bunch of jobless motherfuckers that, you know, their moms let them borrow the car, or I don't know what the fuck's going to happen because expecting people to come out Sunday night to fucking Philadelphia and then, you know, I mean, we got to come like two hours home and then go to work the next day. Fuck that shit, man. It's it's not fucking happening. So, um, as is, uh, you know, I'm going to this show on Saturday. I'll, I'll get into more about that in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to take a break. Uh, talk for quite a bit now. Um, like I said, I got Rory coming on uh, a little after 10. So, um, you know what? There's a big talk about I'm going to talk more about it as uh, when I come back. But um, there has been a big fucking talk about Meek Mill versus fucking Drake. And uh, I'll get into my thoughts about that. But before I get into all that, let me play what I would consider an actual diss track. A fucking sick diss track that... um, Let's go with Eminem. Eminem put out a diss track against Benzino. Eminem went on a tirade for a long time and was calling everybody out. And he got into battles with a couple of cats, Benzino, Ja Rule, um, you know, a bunch of people. But this one in particular, he just, he went fucking vicious. And to me, this is what a diss track is all about. And, you know, to come at somebody fucking ruthlessly and, and just fucking make them look like shit on the track. And that that's what Eminem did on this shit, man. He's a fucking... He's a true fucking lyricist, and, you know, he knows how to fucking battle. And you look at this fucking, this this shit right here, nail in the coffin, you just murder his shit right here. This is what I call a fucking diss track. This motherfucker, man. Don't shut up, will you? Talking about I owe you. Bitch, you owe me. I'm promoting you right now. 
put the nail in his coffin. I don't wanna be like this. I don't really wanna hurt no feelings. But I'm only being real when I say nobody wants to hear that grandfather rap. Nope. And old men have heart attacks. And I don't wanna be responsible for that. So put the mic down and walk away. You can still have a little bit of dignity. I would never claim to be no Raven Tino, an 83 year old fake Pacino. So how can he hold me over some balcony without throwing his lower back out as soon as he goes to lift me? Please don't, you'll probably fall with me and I'll ask the both be history. But then again, you finally get your wish, cause you be all over the street like 50 cents. <laughs> Fucking drunk pussy, fuck you, chump. Give me a one-on-one, see if I don't fuck you up. Try to jump the rough riders and they cut you up. And you put Jada on a track, that's how much you suck. Dick in the industry, swear that you in the street hustling. You sit behind a fucking desk at the source, butt kissing and begging motherfuckers for guest appearances. And you can't even get the clearances, cause real lyricists don't even respect you or take you serious. It's not that we don't like you, we hate you, period. Talk about a midlife crisis, damn. Last week he was shaking Obi Trice's hand. Now he's a buster? What the fuck's with that? Get on a track, kissing us, kissing 50's ass, and asking me what I know about incitement. Fight me, bitch, I got two cases. And probation, fight me. What do I know about standing in front of a judge like a man, ready to take whatever sentence he has? What you know about your wife slicing a wrist right in front of the only thing that you have in this world? A little girl, and I put that on her. When this is all over, I would never try to make her a star and eat off her. I don't know shit about no shopping rocks, but what you know about it? Pop shops, rocking spots, where you're the only white boy up in that bitch just ripping. Pressing up your own flyers and your stickers, sticking them bitches up after spending six hours at Kinko's. Making copies of your covers of cassette singles To sell them out of the trunk of your tracer Spending your whole paycheck to disc makers What you know about being bullied over half your life? Oh, that's right, you should know what that's like You're half white Vanilla ice, Philippines and rice I'm eating you alive inside Jesus Christ, if you're that much of a gangster Put the mic down You should be out killing motherfuckers right now Kill a motherfucker dead Kill him dead, bitch Shoot him in the fucking head. Go ahead, bitch. Slap my mom. Slap the fuck out of her. She can't sue you. She wouldn't get a buck out of you because you broke his fuck. You suck. You're a fucking choke. If you was really selling coke, well, then what the fuck you stop for, dummy? If you slew some crack, you'd make a lot more money than you do from rap. You'll never have no security. You'll never be famous. You'll never know what it's like to be rich. Like the bitch, ain't it, Raymond? Here, let me break this shit down and layman. For you just to make sure that you can understand it. The cannabis ain't using too many complicated fucking words for you. Yeah, let me slow it down for you so that you can understand if I say it slower. Let it go, dog, it's over. I don't wanna be like this. I don't really wanna hurt no feelings. But I'm only being real when I say nobody wants to hear that grandfather rap. Uh-uh. And old men have heart attacks. And I don't wanna be responsible for that. So the mic down and walk away you can still have a little bit of dignity <laughs> talking about i have motherfuckers calling your crib bitch you ain't even got a fucking crib you ain't even got a fucking phone fucking pump threatening to shut me down at your little fucking source magazine if i come back when you and attack you bitch you attack me first take it like a man shut the fuck up fuck your little magazine too I don't need your little fucking magazine. I got double XL's number anyway. 
and y'all can't stand it because they get bigger than y'all. Oh, and by the way, how'd I look on the VMA? When you was watching me from whatever fucking TV you was watching me from in Boston. The mean streets of Boston. Fucking sissy. And you gotta stand up here, motherfucker. Suck a motherfucking dick. Oh, and for those that don't know, don't get it twisted, yo. Can't just throw anybody on Catch the Predator. Absolutely, Gage. Um, so, uh, look, the thing with with um, Drake, Drake's Drake is one of the most homosexual-based uh, rappers that I've ever heard. I mean, if you see a straight dude rocking out some fucking Drake. You judge the shit out of them. I mean, that's just what happens. In part, you know, I listen to all sorts of music too. I mean, I listen to like tick pop music and shit, and I would, I would fucking proudly rock that shit that I rock over fucking Drake songs. That shit is not. That shit is not okay to me. I mean, that's that's to me. I mean, uh, you know, different people have their. Uh, um, you know, different people have their preferences. To me, I, I don't I don't think he's alright. I, I don't I don't like his fucking music. I think he's a fruit and um I mean that's fine, you know. I mean everybody's got their own aisle, that's fine. But um you know, I, I just I just don't like the fucking guy. So as far as that dude doing a diss track, I don't give a fuck what he has to say. And and if he comes out more clever than the fucking guy you know, then Meek Mill, who's supposed to be fucking vicious, and, and Meek Mill can't come back for shit. He fucking throws out a track with the fucking Undertaker beat on it, and just just doesn't just doesn't come through. Just doesn't come through. And Drake is just being relentless, and, and just you know, you know, wearing fucking um, you know free Meek shirts and do his fucking concerts and he's just clowning them. He's just treating them like a bitch, man. He he's just he's just playing them out because Meek don't got shit. He doesn't have shit. I personally and um I, I know some people are real big on Meek and, and there's some tracks I real I fuck with Meek. Some of his tracks are off the chain. I mean I got a handful of the motherfuckers in my gym playlist, man. They go fucking hard. But I, I don't I don't feel all his shit. And to a certain extent, I, I think he's overrated. I think he caught a crazy fucking buzz and he started to be hailed like the next coming. There's so much emptiness in the hip hop game these days that anybody can step up, catch a fucking buzz. Fucking Kendrick Lamar was allowed to fucking step up and talk about I'm new king in New York or, or some kind of shit like that. He said when the fuck would that be okay in the 90s, man? This shit wouldn't last 10 minutes. You know, there was a meme that said, like, um, you know, back in the day, fucking Big and Pac had beef because Pac thought Big got him shot. And now there's a beef between Drake and Meek Mill because Drake got mad that Meek Mill didn't tweet about him. Uh, just... What kind of shit is this? 
It, it's just it's fucking ridiculous. And, and my thing with Meek Mill is, like I said, he's got some hot tracks and this and that. He ain't the fucking the next coming, man. When he got into it with fucking Cassidy, I said Cassidy will annihilate this dude. He will. Cassidy's just one of these, like, disappearing act type dudes. So he hangs around, he fucking tears shit up, and then he just goes away for a while. If he'd stay consistent and stay around, he can easily take the best lyricist in Philly crown. There, there'd be no question about it. Beanie Siegel's another one of those dudes, though. He's another one of those dudes that would have took that fucking crown and fucking stayed fucking solid with that shit. But he's a here, here again, gone again guy, too. You know, I mean, he was away for a while, but, you know, in between that, you know, he's been out and he'll he'll do a little bit and he'll do, but he, he dabbles. He's not, he doesn't have that hunger. You know, he doesn't go hard like he used to. I mean, it's just, there's people who are capable of rocking shit, but, you know, it's the young cats that come up and they're hungry and they want that big money. So they're going to put out a bunch of fucking tracks and a bunch of albums and a bunch of mixtapes. So they're going to catch fire and they're going to have that. Look at me, I'm all over the place, so I'm the fucking, I'm the man now. But the cats that got a couple bucks in their pocket already, the, the seagulls and those guys, they tuck that shit away and they don't have to jump around in front of everybody all the time. They just, you know, they take it for what it is. They pop up here and there to up their money again, but, but they're good, you know. You get so much money so quick off of this shit that, like, you know, as soon as you pop off, you get an album that does decent, you're fucking pretty set, you know, so... They lose that hunger. I mean, you, you see, you see this shit with with hip hop. Even in the, its prime, you would get everybody's first album was the best because you know that's when they had that hunger. Second album, they got all that money, and eh, you just don't see the same fire in their belly. Maybe half the tracks are hot, you know, and that, and that's just kind of the way it's always gone over the years. But like I said, um, th- this battle is bullshit to me. I mean, there's so many people. Like, if Cassidy stepped up right now, Cassidy could write a track that will fucking bury the two of them. More or less just put them in the same same fucking car and, and do that navigation takeover and drive them bitches off a cliff. I mean, that that's what would happen. You know, and then you got this crazy shit. Motherfuckers lost their mind. Motherfuckers have lost their goddamn mind. Meek Mill's sister put out this fucking freestyle ripping fucking Drake. And the shit is hot. I'm going to play it. But listen, when your sister has to step up to fucking to fight your motherfucking rap battles, that's not a good look. That's not a good look at all. Maybe she'll get a contract offered or some shit, but fuck you don't look like shit right now, Meek. I mean, everybody else can step up and fucking lay shit, and then, and then you're just going to sit there going, oh, shit. He's, he's getting me good, so I don't know. Here goes her shit, so. Hey, yo, Drizzy. Is you snorting or is you dizzy? You really want to war with them niggas from out of Philly? Them niggas catching more bodies in the caps to the other city. I seen your governor tweeting. Guess you call the committee, cuz. I heard snitching what you does. You really are an actress. You really not a thug. Remember on the grassity, bitches never showed you love. You was always in your feelings, little nigga. You need a hug. Talking about you started from the bottom. Now you here. I heard you started from the tip of the dick. Cause you's a queer. Next time. 
time we drop an album, niggas better share. Or next time won't be a next time from you buying your next rhyme. You little singer-ass nigga. You little I've been sleeping with your brother Jerry Springer-ass nigga. I got a love song for my ringer-ass nigga. Penetrate my ass with your middle finger-ass nigga. And I really used to fuck with you. So I really ain't want to fuck with you. But now I got to bust at you. Because Meek on the break and I'm the substitute. So I got to eat all of your niggas like a motherfucking Lunchable. Talking about you seen Nikki's titties, though. Man, everybody seen Nikki's titties, bro. Tell me what the pussy hitting for. And then maybe we might take you literal. Until then... It just sounds like an obsession. Your homosexuality is still up for question. When Meek eats you, you better take it as a lesson and be happy he ain't pop. You better take it as a blessing. He with his queen, he ain't got the time for peasants. It took your third disc for you to find the right selection. He coming with no sign with no direction. So when it hits you, ain't no coming back. Ain't no resurrection. Trying to play hard, but you really wasting your energy because everybody clearly see you got bitch tendencies. He finished stretch you like a centipede and Meek just for murk every enemy killing you niggas in the industry. How? <laughs> yeah, like I said, she fucking killed it. Okay, but where you at, Meek? Your sister needs to come rap for you and shit. What kind of shit is this, man? It, it, it's fucking crazy. So I, I don't know, man. Um, um, yeah, I'm reading this stuff that um, you know um. Uh, uh, the IWA Mid-South guys were supposed to be on the, the uh, On Point show. They were having um, Tremont versus Cannonball, Taipei Death as a anniversary of the Ian and Axel Taipei Death match. So they're doing that thing, and they were going to have Ian's special guest referee, and they were going to have Reed Bentley, uh, the, the uh, tryout show rejects, Reed Bentley and uh, John Wayne Murdoch up against um, Devin Moore and Drew Blood and, you know, doing a bunch of shit, the uh, the Deep South guys. And um, Ian's son was coming over. Um, I'm not sure who else, but I, at least I can't think of anybody else. Um, but, yeah, a whole bunch of shit. And Ian just posted something tonight saying none of the IWA Mid-South guys will be on the On Point show. And, you know, people are like, what the fuck? You know, you got beef with them, whatever. And he's like, no, we just couldn't come to terms. So I don't know what happened. Something in negotiations must have fell apart or something. But that sucks, man. I'm going to that show. And that was um, a lot of my draw was that. So uh, it really sucks. You know, I'm still excited to go and, you know, check it out and everything else. But, um, yeah, man, that that fucking sucks. Um, What can you do, you know? Uh, Rory should be calling in any minute. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk to him. Got a bunch of different things to ask him and everything. Um, my peppers are coming along fucking great, man. My um, Maruga Scorpion chocolate peppers are fucking ready. Um, obviously, not all of them. They continue to grow. But um, I have a couple out there that are ready, as well as my Jamaican hot chocolates. Uh, both of those motherfuckers are no joke. Um, I'm going to try at least one of them tomorrow. I didn't want to try them tonight when I got a show, you know, it fucking tears me up, uh, you know. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely, uh, pop in about those, uh, next week because, uh, man, it's, uh, very exciting. My devil's tongue peppers are starting to change color. 
starting to get some orange in there. You know, that that's really fucking exciting too. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really into these fucking growing these goddamn peppers. So, but hugely successful. Like I said, I planted them all in fucking pots, uh, except for a couple on the ground around back. But I ain't get enough sun in my one garden area, so I you know I really uh, I transplanted them all in pots. It looks ridiculous out front of the house, but what doesn't look ridiculous is the peppers hanging from pretty much every fucking plant. So. I'm excited. Uh, like I said, I'm doing the big uh, pepper pong thing at fucking uh, at the barbecue, and uh, that that's gonna be fucking awesome. That that's gonna be a lot of fun. So, innovative, completely innovative. Um, what else, man? My training has been going fantastic. Um, I'm eating like a fucking like a monster and um you know much more than i had before the fucking portions are fucking huge um i'm doing a lot of a lot of way different things than what i was doing before as far as my eating habits go way fucking different it's completely revamped and um the amount of protein i'm taking in of the day through food is fucking tremendous and uh you know my training is is going really really good um got a lot of constantly sore shit. So that means I'm hitting those fucking muscles. Right. And, um, you know, I've had problems with the lower back over the years a lot. And, um, there's a lot of stuff that's really targeting the lower back, but it's, I got to think it's strengthening it. Cause I haven't torqued it. I've definitely, you know, felt the fucking soreness on it. And, you know, you get that like worry, like, Oh fuck, man. When it gets super tight like that, you worry about it torquing. But um, so far, so good. And I got to feel like every time I uh, I get through it without doing some kind of injury type thing to it, I'm only strengthening it and making it that much less poss- less susceptible to injury is what I should say. Um, so, yeah, I'm just ramping up, continuing to do what I do, and fucking cannot wait until September's race. I'll finish that trifecta big shit right there so uh look i'm gonna play another track another track that i consider what a diss track is all about for cannabis bitched out of the whole situation he went at one of the biggest legends in the business fucking ll cool j and he ripped him a new asshole i don't give a fuck what anybody says about that ripper strikes back bullshit compared to fucking cannabis cannabis came out first it's easy to respond to people's words with fucking words again it's not the first track to write off of something LL said, he fucking put it on. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, Mike Tyson here speaking with the cannabis man over here. Yo, cannabis, your main objective out here is to do nothing but eat, 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 eat MCs for lunch, breakfast. Hey, man, they've been playing me all my life, man. You know, I won a title a couple of times, did right, but they can't hurt us, man. We're going to do it. Get up in this ring, man. Put these gloves. Let me show you how to handle it. I'm going to let the world know the truth. You don't want me to shine. You study my rhyme. Then you lay your vocals at the mind. That's a bitch move. Something that a homo rapper would do. So when you say that you platinum, you're only dropping clues. I studied your background. Read the book that you wrote. Searched your footnotes about how you used to sniff coke. Frontin' like a drug-free role model. You disgust me. I know bitches to see you smoke weed recently. You walk around showing off your body because it sells. Plus to avoid the fact that you ain't got scales. Mad at me because I kick that shit real, nigga. Spell. Why 99% of your fans wear high heels. Ice T to Kumo D to Jay-Z, now you wanna fuck with me? You must be crazy, you drippin' with whack juice, and you can't get it off, you better be prepared to finish what you start, nigga. Uh, you just hold it right there, we gotta 
saw Chucky with a couple hundred thousand balls, thunderbolts before you wanted the war. Now you wanna talk. It's about who strikes the hardest, not who strikes first. That's why I laugh when I hear that whack ass verse. That shit was the worst rhyme I ever heard in my life. Cause the greatest rapper of all time died on March 9th. God bless his soul, rest in peace, kid. It's because of him, now at least I know what beef is. It's not what I would call this. See, this is something different. A faggot nigga trying to make a living over dissing. Somebody that he gotta know is better than him. But he feeling himself, cause he got more cheddar than him. Well, let me tell you something. You might got more cash than me. But you ain't got the skills to eat a nigga's ass like me. And if you really want to show off, we can get it on. Live in front of the cameras on your own sitcom. I let you kick the first. Fuck it, I let you kick them all. I'll even wait for the studio audience to applause. Now watch me rip the tap in your arm, kick you in the groin, stick you for your Vanguard award in front of your mom, your first, second, and third born, make your wife get on the horn, call Minister Farrakhan, so he can persuade me to squash it, I say no, nah, he started it, he forgot what a hardcore artist is, a hardcore artist is a dangerous man, such as myself, trained to run 20 miles of soft sand, on the off land, programmed to kick hundreds of balls off land, from a lost and forgotten land, you done did it man, you done spit it some wax shit it, and probably thought that because it's been a minute, I forget it, Fuck that, cause like I'm in a cube, I see the bitch in you And I'ma make the world see you too, motherfucker Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. You know, that that's a uh, hardcore artist is a dangerous man such as myself, trained to run 20 miles of soft sand. On the off-land, programmed to kick home. All right. That's a diss track, you know, and, you know, when you hear that there's a diss track out there, you want to turn the shit on and hear that type of fire. You hear someone just going for the kill, man, and just like, oh, shit, he just said this, he just said that. Not to, not a little bouncy track that has some rude words about the other dude in there. Some dude, you know, some bouncy little track that fucking takes shots at another dude. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, it's just, I want to hear fucking hardcore motherfucking diss tracks. Brutless fucking bloodthirsty diss tracks. Or shut the fuck, I, I don't. I don't need the, the nonsense with the, the fucking Drake is doing a diss track. I, I don't need to hear that shit. That's uh, highly ridiculous. So, um, yeah, let me, uh, like I said, uh, Rory should be calling in any minute. Um, the CZW show is coming up over this weekend. I am, I am reluctantly attending. I um, have no high hopes for this show at all. I'm going because I don't have anything to do, and it'll be fun to hang out. I'm honestly don't think I'm even bringing my camera. Um, I just I have Angry Birds loaded up on the phone. I will let you know how many levels I beat in the course of the CZW show. I know, and a lot of people are just gonna be like, well, why don't you just go, not go then? Well, you know, like I said, I don't have a lot else to do. And quite frankly... It actually works out because I was going to do the Warrior Dash that day, but I decided that race is too bitch-ass for me, and instead of spending the money on that, 
you know, I, I'd rather, I'd just rather do something with my kids that day, which is what I'm doing. And then at night I'll go to CZW. So it kind of works out that I had the day off anyway, because with their early start time and the dark match thing, that's going to end up in the middle of the card on the iPay-per-view and all that shit. One of those matches being JT Dunn versus uh, Joey Janela, which is one of the matches I want to see the very most. So, if I was working Saturday like I normally am, I, I wouldn't be able to be there at fucking 6 o'clock. So it really only works out that I can go to this show because I happen to have the day off anyway. So I'm going to go and take it for what it's worth. And, you know, I'll have a good time just because, you know, I go to fucking hang more or less, you know. And, um, you know, someone willing to drive me there. So uh, that's that's that. You know, if it was any more, if it was a situation where I had to find a babysitter or something like that, I wouldn't even consider it. The show looks like absolute shit to me. But um, I, I guess we'll have to see. I'll have the full review of that next week, as well as I will also have back on the show the bulldozer match Tremont. You know, fresh off of his King of the Death match win. Um, you know, he's got a lot going on for him. He's got a, a big, uh, you know, convention show coming up and, um, you know, on points doing big things. And, uh, he's in the Nick Gage Invitational and, uh, I mean, there's, there's so much I have to talk to Matt about. So, uh, it should be very interesting. And, um, like I said, I'll, uh, I'll talk to him about it all next week. Um, just waiting on Rory's call, like I said, and then I, you know, I get into all this stuff. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I really don't know what happened with On Point Wrestling, um, with with the whole thing falling through with uh, Ian and the IWA Mid South guys, because to me it's very puzzling. The whole show was built around the um, the Taipei Death Match and the anniversary of that and everything else. So to turn it where those guys are no longer going to be there. And I mean, not to have Reed Bentley and um, John Wayne Murdoch on the show really sucks, but when the show is built around Ian Rotten being the special guest referee of the anniversary of the Taipei death, I mean, that that has a lot weighing on it. I mean, you would think that would be a big, big, um, you know, draw to the show overall. So, that show, um, even though, you know, it's obviously going to still have its event, it's going to have to be retooled a little bit, I think. Um, I mean, maybe they'll still work something out. I, I don't know. For him to make the announcement like that makes me think that it's a done deal. It's not happening. But um, I guess we'll see. Um, maybe uh, maybe Matt could shed a little light on that next week. I'm not really sure, you know, how much uh, he knows about the inner workings of it. But, you know, hey, We'll see. I mean, he's, he's involved in the match. I'm sure he has some tie to the situation. And, uh, you know, he has a lot to do with on-point wrestling. So um, we'll talk to Matt next week. Oh, man, what else do I got? Um, fucking shit. Um, what did I want to talk about? Let me see uh, CZW's card. All right. Let me fuck. I clicked on the wrong thing. Fantastic. It makes it hard for me to actually uh, read the card. But anyway, uh, like I said, you got Joey Janela versus JT Dunn, which is which is a big fucking match for me. I I really think those two will tear it up. 
and um, that that's going to be big. They have the whole front thing going on that I can give a shit about. Um, I, I really don't care like uh, at all, at all about that. Um, they have a uh, like a Japanese women's match, but they got um, Brittany Blake and uh, Penelope Ford from the CW Wrestling Academy uh, split up on separate teams with uh, Sumi Sukai and I, and I don't know how to pronounce the other woman's name. Um, you know, I, I'm not a Japanese wrestling aficionado, so I don't really know... Um, you know everybody's everybody's deal. But anyway, um, you got Tim Donst defending his CCW Wire title up against Frankie Picard, who's uh, another Academy guy. Um, this is, I mean, it's half of a dojo war show, but um, up against Frankie Picard and, and Frankie Picard, they kind of like gave the title to him on a dojo war show to take it back off him during the dojo war show before you know. That whole deal. They've done that before with uh, Gacy, and uh, I think when Strickland had it. So um, they got that going on. They got Pepper Parks and um, Matt Tremont in a Voorhees street fight. You know, the mean streets of Voorhees do. Um, so there's that. Uh, what else? What else we got? Um, uh, Dick Justice versus Greg Excellent. You got Jake Chris versus Danny Havoc, and I think that's supposed to be some form of death match. I'm not positive on that part, but um, but yeah. Um, what else we got? Let me see. Fucking oh, um, Dave Chris versus Connor Claxton. So you got that too. So you know, that's uh. Kind of what we're looking at. The pre-show lineup starts off at 6.30. Main show starts off at uh, 8. 8 o'clock. So the the iPay-per-view is going to start at 8 o'clock. And what they're going to do is they're going to put those pre-show matches where the intermission would fall rather than playing commercials for their stuff. Um, Which, I mean, I get to a certain extent. Uh... You know, I mean, it definitely makes for a long intermission now. So you can kind of gauge how long the intermission is going to be by how long the pre-show is. So if we're sitting there and that pre-show goes, uh, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes, it's going to be like a 40-minute intermission, which is, uh, you know, pretty intense. So we'll see how it works out. I know they're trying to figure everything out time-wise for their silly little pay-per-view idea, which is going down in October, which, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot on the line as far as that goes and uh, how it's going to come across and what it's going to look like. And, uh, you know, I don't know. A lot, a lot of variables on that one. Um, let me see if I have any other uh, tracks. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, spin plates a little bit. But um, let me see. Eh. Talked a little UFC tonight. Let's play it. It's uh, Sean Price Anderson Silva join again. I'm the rap version of Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva. I'm the rap version of Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva. 
Sean Price, Jimbo the nickname. Rhyme nice, my Jimbo's kick lanes. Switch lanes, up in the coop. I spit games, dude, my shit is the truth. You live in the lie. You lie your belly with liabilities. You get beat on, now you're bingy. I knock niggas out for fun. I knock niggas out with guns. I knock niggas out with hands. I knock niggas out with feet. B is a perfect weapon when I'm up in the street. I rule blood of your shirt or double the perp. Maintain well-trained, nigga, buddy, McGurk. Second place niggas, I hand you the silver. I'm the rap version of Anderson Silver. You motherfuckers got no wins. I'm boot camp, but I got no tins. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I'm the rap version of Anderson Silver. Anderson Silver. Anderson Silver. I'm the rap version of Anderson Silver. Anderson Silver. Anderson Silver. AJ Leo, Chocolate Don's the nickname. My flow real, put two in your rib cage. Should've never changed, nigga, let the semi bang. No talk, we ain't for the petty game. The fuck for, put the burner in your mouthpiece. I want a war, I do better without peace. You cowards strutting on the outskirts. I bring it anywhere, you scared to come to our turf. The whole life fraudulent. We were still robbing niggas while recording this. They would give us to be up in the offices. No logic, we be on some old retarded shit. So all you niggas with your rhyme, acting like you out your mind. We just hit you with that nine, every gig and be fine. Sean Pierre hit the first, have a clap, I'm going down. Shit is looking like a circus, I ain't playing with you clowns. Version of Anderson Silver, Anderson Silver, Anderson Silver. I'm the rap version of Anderson Silver, Anderson Silver, Anderson Silver. All right, uh, still waiting on Rory. Uh, waiting is fucking. Whack, man. I can't stand fucking waiting. This is why I try to get people on, like, right at the start of the show because, you know, you wind up fucking waiting and waiting and waiting and trying to spin fucking plates. I got through, uh, you know, the majority of my material. If this was just uh no guest type of show, I'd just fucking close it out and call, you know, an hour and change and do what it do. You know, uh, I have a bunch to ask Rory and talk to Rory about, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll wait a couple more minutes and, uh, you know, play around for a bit. Um, what the fuck else was I talking about? Um, fuck. Um, shit, I just had something on my mind, too. Um, but, you know, let's go, let's go back to rap battles a little bit until I think about what the other thing I was talking about. Um, you know, the thing is that the rap game has changed for the worst. Like, you go on to, like, one of these, um, you know, one of the, the, the mixtape sites. You get, like, a hundred fucking mixtapes. Half of it is just the Dirty South shit, and they just, they go over the same shit. They really don't go in on lyricism. I mean, if you look back at the type of shit that was going on in the 90s, that was really my favorite era, is the the 90s, early to mid-90s. Everybody was on fire. 
Wuxia came out, they were killing it. Nobody was fucking with them as a group. You know, um, I mean, you had Redman killing it. You had fucking um, Nas killing it. Everybody was just on top of shit. Big L, fucking, it was insanity. KRS was doing his thing. And it's like, now it's so, everything's got a fucking club beat on it for the most part. Everything's just watered down, and it just becomes like dance tracks with lyrics on it. It doesn't, it doesn't really add up to you know the type of hip hop that I that I really enjoyed the most. You know, even like you know I, when I try to download you know like a new Wu album or a new Raekwon or a new this or a new that, it just it doesn't come off good at all. It's um it's hard. It's almost like the people who made those classic albums can't go back and listen to those fucking classic albums anymore. It's absolutely crazy. Um, what the fuck was I just thinking about? God damn it. Um, some shit online. Oh, Lucha Underground. I keep hearing all sorts of good shit about Lucha Underground. The problem is, is I have it DVR'd and I have it DVR'd on the only place that I can get it is the fucking Spanish channel. So I, you know, I can't keep up with it because they're talking Spanish at me, you know? And, and I don't understand that. And I'm not about to learn another language for the sake of watching Lucha Underground. So I, I can't really, uh, bring myself to get super into it in, in Espanol. So, um, I, it's like, I just, I get real fucking lazy about it. And my only other option then is like find it online somewhere or something like that. And I just, you know, I just end up not wanting to go through the fucking trouble. I just heard some shit about Vampiro and somebody having some form of fucking death match. I mean, it's crazy. So, um, and the one guy I see is doing some of the sickest shit off a balcony that I've ever seen. I don't even know the guy's name, but, um, Angelico, or I'm fucking probably completely butchering that, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're doing some crazy, crazy shit over there, but I just can't, your effort that I have to put out to get it offline or whatever, it just, it doesn't, doesn't draw me, I end up completely uh, not doing it, and then I hear some stuff about it, and every once in a while, I'll read something that's gonna happen, and then I just, I never get around to watching it, it's fucking crazy. I wish I had the uh the time and the um the actual uh I guess attention span to really uh apply myself to to getting it and watching it cuz I know they're doing some good shit over there. I know they are. Um here's another thing. Um the t-shirts. The I'm a John Zander guy t-shirts are coming. I officially paid for the motherfuckers and um they are being made within a couple weeks. I will have these shirts. Now, anybody who wants these shirts, keep in contact with me. Make sure I know about it and make sure that um, I'm aware that, that you're on one of them because these are going to be very limited. I'm going to try to run a second run of them. I'm going to gauge that based upon interest on whether I can, uh, you know, I can turn it, turn a profit on it. 
You know, um, these are going to be um, two-sided, two-color shirts. They're fucking banging. That's all I'm going to tell you about them. I'll post tons of fucking pictures once I get them. But um, I don't want to leak the graphic. I don't want to, like, put it out there, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's got Yakuza Kick Radio written on them, too. So cross-promoting, cross, you know, uh, promote the show. And the shirt is fucking banging. So the the I'm a John Zandig guy t-shirts are going to be 20 bucks. If they need to be shipped to you, it's going to be five hours for shipping. We're talking about 25 bucks. Um, bottom line is, you know, shit costs money for me. And, uh, you know, I was trying to do them cheaper. I was trying to get them cheaper. Uh, that it didn't turn out that way. Um, so it is what it is. But listen, I've seen one-sided shirts of wrestlers who haven't worked higher than fucking mid card and they're selling them for fucking 20 bucks. So if those shirts are selling for 20 bucks, fucking sell them for 20 bucks. And I'm telling you right now. As soon as I get it, and I'm not being biased because I'm the one that's putting these fucking things out, but when I get this fucking shirt, it's immediately my favorite wrestling shirt because it's fucking bananas, man. I'm I'm wearing it to every single CZW show that I go to. So um, it's great, and I hope to see the rest of them out there. But like I said, 30, there's going to be 30 total, and there's a couple already spoken for. Um, one guy I got to give a big, big shout out for that did the graphic for me. I told him what I want. He did the graphic. Oh man, I'm a pain in the ass. I had to go back a couple of times. Oh, we got to change this. The guy who's making the shirts needs this, this and that is, uh, Frank Febo. And this guy, he's, um, he's a graphic artist. And, um, let me, uh, pull up his, uh, his info over here. He's, um, uh Jesus Christ. Uh Frank Febo the designer at Weebly dot com. You spell his last name F E B B O. And then his uh his Facebook page is Facebook dot com F F the Designer. You know, backslash uh, FFB designer. So check him out. He does great work. And, um, you know, I know he does a lot of work for wrestlers, too. So, uh, you know, he, he's the guy you want to go to. You got a shirt, you know, you're looking to get made. The workers out there, you got something you want to get put together, graphic-wise, to do it up. He does great work. Um, definitely going to be plugging this guy in the future. I get these shirts. You're going to love them. And then I'm going to be Plugging the shit out of the guy making the shirts because um, he's a really good dude, dude too. Um, I'll just put it out there, Josh Crane, the dude that um, you know, he was he was in Tournament of Death. Um, you know, uh, he was uh, um, a Drake Younger trainee, and um, you know, really really good dude too. So um, he's the one printing the shirts, and like I said, uh, Frank Febo did the graphic. And, uh, like I said, with the help of all these wonderful people, I'm actually going to, you know, I'm going to put out a shirt that everybody's going to love. Believe me, a few people have seen the graphic and they're fucking head over heels about it. So, um, I'm really looking forward to putting these things out and, uh, rocking them myself because, uh, you know, 
I'll put out the logo shirts in the future. Believe me, I, I'm definitely going to do the Yakuza logo shirts again. Uh, the ones I originally did, because I do really like that. But these ones are uh, a little bit more important, and a lot of more people are actually going to want to rock these, um, despite the fact that they have Yakuza Kick Radio on them. The shirts all by themselves are really going to, um, they're just going to pop, man. You're going to see. So, yeah. Um, Give it another minute or two for Rory. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some kind of response from him. I think I got him on the line now. So I think I got on the line Rory Gulak, formerly known as Little Mondo. Hey, hey, what's going on, J-Cat? Hey, what's going on, Rory? I apologize. I saw you uh, to the Yakuza Radio for the lateness on the call. We actually could not find my phone after leaving Dojo Wars. This guy's on the show. Uh, literally just got done my match about 25 minutes ago, and I'm so excited to call in today, and I'm excited to talk to you, man. How are you? Awesome, man. I'm, I'm doing good. So, hey, yeah, man. What's going on? Not much. I uh, got a lot to talk to you about. I guess, you know, let's go way back and then, uh, you know, come up from there. I've known you a long, long time. First started going to CZW or this little guy, and um, you know, just huge, the biggest Nick Mondo fan that I've ever seen, anybody's ever seen, and um, you know, can you blame how me? How did you actually? <laughs> no, not at all. How did you actually <laughs> get into CZW? I know you're going with your brother. Um, how did you get into it? Give me that story. Dude, it's it's awesome that you asked that question. I was literally leaving Dojo Wars, and I ran into a gentleman named Pugsley. He's known as, and uh, when I was a kid. Pugsley would be down at the school. He would uh, actually work, I guess, with Vandy or something down at the school or something. They asked me to come down, and I didn't drive. I was 14 years old, and he offered to drive me. He didn't live that far. He came, picked me up at my house in Philadelphia, drove me down by myself for my first tryout. It was so funny that you asked that because I literally just ran into this guy. He came to Dojo Wars tonight, and that's how it happened. I, I came down by myself as this 14-year-old kid, barely weighing 100 pounds, walking into the most ultraviolet school on the face of the earth, and you know, helping have a dream of being a professional wrestler. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now you went in with the little Mondo gimmick. Um, I, I mean, I, I understood it because that's what you were known as through the fans. Um, well, first question: Do you think that held you back? Uh, so when I did it, I was a fan, and everyone, you know, you guys knew me as it. And there's something I just always wanted to do. I, I, Everyone knew me as Little Mondo. Nobody even knew my name was Rory at the time. Everyone just called me Little Mondo. And we just trained right. with it. And I had to wait four years. I had to wait until I was 18 years old. So we just kind of – we never really developed too much character. And it was kind of just going into it. I was just going to be like, screw it. This is what I'm going to do, and we'll see how it goes. And I don't want to say it held me back. It did. Uh, it almost was too good to be true at first because it got me so much exposure when I came out. And everyone knew who I was, and it was such a high expectation. And it was right. just, I had to live up to this this big name, and I couldn't almost. I mean, who could? This, you're talking about the top unsigned independent wrestler, you know, probably one of them of all time of the guys as far as the commando goes. And it definitely in a lot of ways hurt me. And a lot of ways it was good to get the exposure and just to get the attention. And, I mean, at the time, I was, I was 17 years old, and people in Japan were talking about me on message boards about Little Mondo debuting and, and this and that. And it was just all, all a lot at one time for me to, to adjust to when I came out. Sure, yeah, it's a lot to live up to when you come out with the, the Mondo gimmick, and everyone already missed Mondo, so, you know, if you're the next coming, that's, that's exactly. rough. Even the funny, the funny thing is we talk about death matches and, 
And the whole time, I, I was completely against the idea of doing death matches. Nobody wanted me to do a death match. And, and really, like, how am I going to go out there and be Nick Mondo and not dabble in the hardcore? So it was, it was around 2010 that I, I decided that I, I need to take some time off and rethink this gimmick. And what happened was um, we were thinking about it, and I took some time off. And I, I was like, I, gotta, I don't know, should I stay with it? Do I not stay with it? What do I do? Am I doing hardcore? And I literally walked into CZW one day, and DJ was at the uh, academy. And I said right to him, I was like, look, I want to be in tournament. That I was like, that's it. I'm going to do death matches. We're going to see how this goes. So I was going to yeah. give another shot at the uh, death match coming out. Yeah. Now, you know, being such a long-term CZW fan as you were, um, you know, in 09, you got to wrestle Trent Acid. You know, what was that like, getting in the ring with Trent Acid? It was uh, it was such a great experience. I wish I was I was way more you know had way more experience when I wrestled him. It would it would have been awesome if I could even keep up with the guy. I mean, the guy is so so far advanced when you're in the ring with him of how he moves in that ring and what he's going to, and he's just so aware. It's such a tragedy that he passed away because that guy had more potential than anybody to become yeah. you know a great just a great presence. It's such an honor to be in the ring with him. It just he took care of me. And he just wanted to have fun out there and really just, like, he didn't give a shit. He was just out there to, to make me look good, you know, and I, I wish right. I could even remotely get up with him out there. All right. Um, also, early on in your career, you wrestled the Necro Butcher. What, what was it like going in with the Necro Butcher? I don't even think you were really doing the death matches yet. What was your thoughts well, on that? And, and I got lucky because Necro at the time wasn't doing the hardcore gimmick. He was doing the Hollywood Necro Butcher. So it was like a right. you know a dream come true if I was asking for a match with the Necro Butcher. This is my opportunity. And uh, it was the same thing with um, Transit. I was way inexperienced, and he did such a good job of carrying me and just wanted just wanted to have a great match and, and really just put on a, an excellent show. And he, he went out there, and he, he could have easily just beat my ass and, and didn't give a fuck. And he went out there, and, and he really helped me. To, to learn that match and, and work hard for me and put an excellent thing. And he even took, we set up the chairs, and he, he took a sunset foot powerbomb through the chairs and stuff for me. And just, just what a great, great person. You know, I'm a kid out there, and he could have just took in liberties and, and just was so selfless in that match with me. Yeah. Now, you took some time off, and then you came back, you decided you wanted to do the death matches. What was it like actually getting into the death matches? You, you've seen it all, but what was it like when you finally actually got in there to do it? So one thing, one thing I always think about is what can I do that the fans aren't expecting? You know, you have to. They've seen everything. You guys seen mm-hmm. it all. You know, everybody who's been at the show sees everything. So actually, when we came out and had this idea to do the match, we didn't announce it as a death match. You know, if you remember correctly, it was just me and DJ wrestling. DJ, if I win the right. match, I can do TOD. Yada yada yada. So long story short is I wanted to do the craziest thing I can think of. That's all I wanted to do. I was like, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm not half assing this. I'm doing the craziest thing. We came up with uh, an idea to do the, the chairs on the outside, put a sheet of glass on it, and I was going to take, uh, or I did take, the Ric Flair, you know, thrown off the top rope. And I, I would imagine that the, the, the glass was supposed to be on top of the chairs, and the chairs would be there, and I would crash through everything. And last second, as I'm going, not only was I up on the wrong side of the turnbuckle, I was across it, across and the chairs were completely facing outward almost. So it was just a sheet of glass, about 15 feet that DJ has to hurl me to, and I pray to God that I land through this. And I, I, I'm looking down. This is the first hard thing. I was like, well, this is what I fucking want it. Throws me. Somehow I land through the glass. I, I go straight to the fucking concrete, and that was my first taste of ultraviolence right there. The biggest thing I could think of that we could do for that show. 
Right. Um, now I had Mondo on um, just after the Cage of Death match, and um, you know he had said that you guys had been in contact a lot, and you had a really good relationship, and um, you know he kind of worried about your you know your wrestling following in his footsteps. You know what was your side of everything that went on as far as your relationship with Mondo over the years? Yeah, um, when I when I started debuting in CW, we really kept in contact a lot, and. It's, it was awesome. He's always been there, been there for me, not only as you know a mentor, but also as a friend, and, and really cares about what I was doing out in the ring. And, and he he did not want me to do the hardcore stuff, but that's not find out about like certain things and just be like you know what are you doing out there? You gotta keep healthy and, and this and that. And it was just awesome to have him you know, support me like he did throughout my entire career and doing the death matches and doing the little modern things. Totally supportive of it, and you know not the hardcore stuff, but. Definitely had my back, and it was a true friend through the whole, whole entire experience. It was, it was great. Dude, um, Fourth of July, I'm sure you've seen some pictures online. I'd go out and we do this fireworks show where we literally buy yeah. $1,000 worth of fireworks from Wisconsin, bring them into Minnesota, and we would, uh, we'd have this amazing show for 30 minutes that he'd put together, and we'd just be taping fireworks up and just really just, just took me in as a, as a friend and, and never – you know, that whole fan relationship just disappeared and we became friends. And, and, and yeah, it's awesome. awesome to have him there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, you really started to explode on the deathmatch scene big, big time in 2011. I mean, you went to Japan or King of the Deathmatch, all sorts of different things. What was it like going to Japan? Uh, is another thing that I was always one step behind everything. I felt like I was getting these opportunities and going out. And I was just one step behind it. When I went to Japan, it's every person's dream if you're especially, you know, let alone a hardcore wrestler to go to Big Japan and do death matches with those guys who do it, yeah. you know, better, if, if not, you know, better than anyone in the world. And it's just a dream come true to, to go over there. I'm this little fucking kid. I'm 21 years old. And uh, I was literally pretty much just dropped off in Japan, and it was like, good luck. And I thought I was ready, and I was nowhere near ready. What I should have been ready like to be in Japan. I mean, it's a different world. You're just submerged in wrestling when you're there. It's just everything is just wrestling. You're 30 matches in you know a month and a month and a, a week or two match or two two weeks. It's everything you could dream of being a pro wrestler over here. If you're not in a WWE or a big time contract or anything, that's what you want to be. You know, to go over there and you do some touring. The first time I got to over there, I was not prepared at all. As well as I, you know, in my mind, I thought I was prepared. I thought I was in shape. I thought I was ready, and uh, you go there, and you work out every day, and it's just a whole different level that you have to step on to be there. Um, yeah. Was there anybody that helped and, you, you know, along the way in Japan? So, unfortunately, the first time, we had some some issues where I wasn't performing as well as I should be, you know what I mean? I, I went over there, and I thought I was ready. I thought I was into these matches, and, and I really didn't have enough experience to be over there by myself without having the guidance that I needed, you know? And yeah. they were very, very, very helpful. There's a lot of people over there that helped me. And um, there were situations over there where certain people weren't helping me, where, you know, there was, and it was completely understandable. You know, I'm in there with Masada, who, who made his career starting out in Japan, lived there for, you know, years and years and did what I did. And I'm doing what he yeah. did in three months, you know, in a month, in three months. And he right. did it for years. Excuse me, one second. And, uh, I know, I know he's getting frustrated because I wasn't having good matches, and uh, and the the wrestlers are this big Japan office is so nice to me. You know, they it wasn't like 
they just, you know, didn't give a fuck. They actually wanted me to get better. I was over there, and it, it was me representing CZW, and they helped me. And uh, Sakimoto and the entire BCW Dojo wanted me to get better. And it just became a learning process where I can't be in yeah. first and second year. I had a shift like the fifth year, and I got to step my shit up. And really towards the end, everything, you know, whatever happened was, uh, you know, the anger is, it was a learning experience. That, that's the only way I can look at it. And, and it came out of there, and I didn't come out uh, regretful that I went. I just wish I was more prepared the first time I went. Or, you know, if I was with uh, somebody like Joker or my, you know, even my brother would have been closer to, to guide me over there. And uh, that's that's the difference between the second time when I went over there with Drake. He he held my hand the entire time, and it just made everything great. And we really just All put right. time in to making me better. And that was the whole difference between the first time and second time I got to go over there. And I was ready for the second time. It was just an amazing experience again. I mean, that's like how awesome it is. Like, the fans over here are ruthless. They're known as the most ruthless fans in the world. Philadelphia fans, am I right? You know, you know, just yeah. as well as I do, right? Ruthless. Yeah. And you go to Japan, and you have these fans that are handing you gifts at night, uh, gifts, asking if they're okay, <laughs> if, if it's warm enough. They're literally, like, girls are handing me socks, like, knitted hats. And, and it wasn't just wow. it wasn't just because they were fans. They care about the wrestlers. They care about what you're doing over there. It's such a love and respect for it. And pro wrestling right. is just it's, it's respected. It's 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 still you know taken seriously. You walk in the street, you're a pro wrestler. They come and they ooh and they ah and they want to see you. And they, you know the the house is attached. It's amazing. We're here. They're just looking for the first thing they could tear you up on. And unless you're killing it out there, you know your five star matches are just ready to kill you. It's such a it's a real surreal experience. It's how different it is and awesome. It's great. Yeah. It's great. So there was something that went on um, during the first trip over that caught some heat through Drake Younger, and then, you know, he ended up having that match with you and, um, you know, kind of, you know, making you earn respect type thing. What What happened that, you know, got turned into, like, a disrespect type thing? So if you're, if you're somebody listening to this Yakuza Kick Radio, I just want to throw it out there that, Jaycat's the first one to put me out on a radio or any kind of podcast, any kind of interview since I retired, since anything, and I haven't spoken really outspoken about anything. So I just want to say that if you're listening to this, it's exclusive that Jaycat's putting on for you. You hear this. I've never said it to anybody since I've been back. And, and what really happened, I was supposed to have a documentary coming out, and I held open the documentary and what we were doing because of the fact that I, if I do end up returning, that was the sole reason I, you know, I wasn't, we really had a finished product, and it was going to be amazing. I wanted to hold off, and now this is the first time I'm speaking it out. So if you're asking this question, I'm not going to hold back. What happened was I came back from Japan. Uh, word immediately, you know, Drake is was over with Big Japan and other people. Word went to, to Drake. Uh, somebody messaged him about stuff that went over there. And what happened was Drake did not contact me about what happened. So immediately, right. Drake only heard the one side of the story of everything that happened of the negative, correct? So when that happened, yeah. this, you know, and this is before Drake, you know, was a different person in wrestling. This is still, and I'm not saying this had too much to do with it, but I, I'm thinking, you know, Drake now is fucking amazing. You know, after he turned around and changed his life of how he is, and, you know, he can free that. So he went online, yeah. and, and I think it was like a three or four Facebook page post of just destroying me just literally obliterating my career. Like, anything I could possibly think of. I literally remember I was out to dinner like a day or two after Japan. I'm out to dinner with my brother and my family. And I get tagged in this post, and I'm like, the hell is this? I started reading it, and I just looked over to Drew, and I split it to him. 
And I literally said, I'm never wrestling again after reading what he said to me. And he just, you know, tore me apart in, the, in this interview. And what happened was he, did, he never reached out to me. So he, he went off other people's word and, and just believed that was the only thing that happened and, and this and that. And Roy's this awful person, which, mm-hmm. you know, if anybody knows me, it's not really truly how I am. And what came off, it, it, came, it happened, you know. I just remember sliding this over the door, and I just looked at him. I was like, I'm done wrestling. I was like, that's it. I was like, what can I do after this? It's over. And it became this such a huge issue to where Drake said this about me, and immediately fans just, you know, blew, it blew up everywhere. Everybody's mother heard about it, that Roy fucking ruined the Big Japan deal, that this happened, he's a piece of shit, uh, this and that. And wrestlers were calling me, threatening to beat me up if I was in the ring with them. People, you know, stupid shit, like, just unfriending me, just fucking sending me messages, and uh, ultimately what happened was, is uh, the boys, you know, in the locker room who, who know me, and, you know, when I came back and they heard my side of the story, um, talked to Drake about it, and was like, yo, dude, you went off of this, and you said this without talking to Rui, and you, that's fucked up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it really, you know, Drake immediately after he posted everything, called me, and we started talking, and we were talking about it. And he was uh, pretty upset that he posted it without talking to me first. And I understand that was the wrong thing to do. But at the at the uh, same time, he's like, we're going to turn this negative into a positive. You know, we're going to we're gonna make right. something out of this story. I promise you I'll make it up. Cause I, I, literally, I slipped the phone to my brother, and I was like, read that. I'm done wrestling. That was it. I'm sitting at dinner right before I'm fucking about to eat a body <laughs> from Japanese. And, and just like, you know, I'm done wrestling. And uh, I get a call from Drake. He was really upset, you know, apologizing. And I, I was talking. I was like, dude, I can't wrestle. You know, you, you just destroyed me. I was like, what am I going to do now? Nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody wants to book me. They stand the third. So Drake's like, let's come up with this idea. Uh, we're going to make this negative and no positive. And we kept it going. Where legit, I was pissed. If you really like this, there's, there's lines going in pro wrestling where it's fake and it's real. Whatever people are saying with what's made up and what's not, I was pissed. I was hurt about this. You know, I was really fucking, I can't believe that this happened to me. I just came back from Japan. I was unsuccessful. You know what I mean? 30 days of getting my ASB and then just completely buried when I come back. You know, imagine how I felt yeah. as this kid from that. I just completely just felt destroyed and, and just, I let everything down and I just dropped the ball. I was literally just so upset at Drake for what he did, like just going out and bashing me. And I'm like, you know. I'm a, I'm a fighter. Like, I'm from Philadelphia. Like, we fight. I was in, you know, you asked my brother. I've been in more fights than anybody. I was suspended from my entire middle school career pretty much. And for some reason, I smartened up when I was an adult. I was so angry about this. And uh, I legit had a fucking, you know, as much as Drake wanted to apologize, I didn't give a fuck. I was really upset about this. It was almost to the point where everything that fucking happened up until that point of that match was, was near true was near 100%. You know what I mean? The only thing that happened yeah. was we got booked on that show and put together, and we're going to go out this match, and I'm just like, fuck it. This is what I got to do. I'm going out there, and I don't care what happens. That's the attitude I had. I mean, we were talking in the promos. Like, it, you could see it. You could see the anger in us. Like, it was out. And uh, the match just, I think, you know, at the time, the Saxon McDade's match was probably the most hyped-up match on the show. And in yeah. 10 minutes, I don't think I could have ever taken a bigger ass whooping in my entire life. Like, it was fucking <laughs> just one thing after the next. And it was just non-second. We walked out to that, that ring. The crowd was on their seat into it. And, you know, I slapped him right in his face, and he just punched me. And we go right. I'm thrown over the top of to a barbed wire board. Next thing I know, I'm 
It was just one thing after the other, and it just didn't stop. It was just a roller coaster of uphill with no stoppage. You know what I mean? It was just drop, 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 just craziness. And uh, after the match, he shakes my hand to show, like, you've earned this. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever you did is in the past. Yeah. You've earned your right to be here. You've earned your right to be a deathmatch guy, and you think you're, you're, you're tough. And that's what came out of the match. We really took that match, the whole situation from a negative to a positive. And you can tell our emotions. You know, you get two guys and you put your heart into it. So a match, it comes out. It shows. It's obvious. You know what I mean? Sure. It's obvious when people aren't into a match. And we were just going through yeah. it. And we just, it just came out really good from the negative. Yeah, it was it was an amazing match, but um, I mean, how do, how do you do that? How do you you know have such anger towards the situation, and then you know you, you want to fight, you naturally want to fight, and then because it's wrestling, you go into the match and you more or less take an absolute beating. Like you know, you you want to inflict pain. You don't want to say, all right, now I'm going to take more pain for this guy than anybody else. You know how do how do you make that transition? That's got to be tough. For sure. I mean, it's an entire mental game at that point. I was concussed, I think, in 30 seconds into the match. Once I got hit with the first water jug, I was completely I was concussed already. And it's just completely, you know, in death matches, you want respect, you have to show how tough you are. That's that's just how it is in a death match. Right. You wanna, of course, you're going to get your, your fucking beat people up. But if you want the crowd to give a fuck and believe you that you're a fucking tough motherfucker in the death match, you're going to have to take your beatings, you know, and just hand it down yeah. and, and that's what it is. And, and I went out there. Whatever he did to me, I took. And you're talking about, you look back at that match, there's some stuff that I should have been dead from almost. You know, I took a, a power bomb from the top rope onto a metal trash can. And I wish to God wrestling was a mistake as people make it out to be, even the hardcore stuff. I wish that was a, you know, a plastic chair or a plastic trash can. But no, it's a fucking steel trash can. And I'm near death and dying and breaking my back. Still to this day, my hips will hurt when it rains because of that power bomb. That stuff like wow. that, or the fucking, just moves. And just, they don't realize how, how much we're putting our legs on the line to go out there to entertain you guys and, and to prove that I'm a badass and, and tough. And just in 10 minutes. And you walk back, you just feel like you're hit by a train. Letting it absorb, yeah. just how you said, like how you do it. There's an on and off switch. And some people have that switch to turn it on, and some people have that switch. They don't have that switch. And you just really have to be a tough motherfucker to be out there what we do. And to put on, you know, and yeah. I, just, I don't want to say just a tough motherfucker. you got to be a tough fucker and a tough wrestler. That's my language, but yeah. there's a lot of people that go out there. And I'm sure you, of all people, I've read your post, can understand that anyone can go out there and hit each other as hard as they want with something. But it takes a special kind of person to go out and wrestle in a death match and really put on a show. No, absolutely. You know what, I, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I, I sure. know you, of all people, know that, too. So, yep. Yeah, it's just, um, so, it's crazy. Yeah. So then also in 2011, like I said, huge year, um, you uh, you went out to uh, IWA Mid-South and wrestled in the King of the Death matches. What was it like going out there working for Ian? Obviously, he has a bad reputation. What was your um, yeah. you know, your experience I, with uh, IWA Mid-South? I, I went out there, and it's nothing for nothing with low expectations. With, with this, he does have a reputation to be a great person. I went there with that attitude, and I didn't go in the attitude where I'm, not going to work hard or, or this and that, but I just kept it in the back of my mind that something could go wrong or, or this and that. And wow, I couldn't be more happy to have worked for him. He was so nice to us when we went there. There was nothing that went wrong. He was uh, extremely happy with the tournament, completely, extremely happy with everything. And it was completely beyond my expectation of what I'd heard about him. And, and it, I was really happy. And I, I just wanted to go back and work for him after that. I was going to Japan and then 
uh, just unfortunately we never had a chance to go back out there. But I really, from that experience, I can't say anything bad about the guy. I mean, he took care yeah. of us. And, you know, he, he really just, you know, whatever happens, I mean, there's unfortunately there's shit that happens in the business. And it, there's some stuff that, you know, look at my situation. Some stuff shouldn't have happened. And it's how right. you really take the, the, the bad and turn it into a good. And some people are going to have bad situations. And some people are going to have good situations. It's just how it is. And unfortunately, there is, you know, there's that stigma with him um, for certain things that he's done. But to me personally, I can't say anything bad about him. I really, you know, he right. he took care of me. And and I watched how he conducted everything. And he ran the show. And he's very professional. I ran the locker room. And he's professional with everything. And so from that standpoint, point stance, you know, I have nothing bad to say about the guy. Um, well, only thank you, and I hope to get to work for you again. Seriously, I would love to come out. <laughs> He's listening. I'd like yeah. to come out. Work. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, I like you, and I, you know, I've, I've heard probably more people say good things about him than I have bad things, but the bad things are obviously always, you know, put in the big it's, light. It's so. Social media these days, you know, anyone does anything, you're going to hear about it, and, and uh, you know what I mean? It's going to get blown up, and it's going to get blown out of proportion. Unless you hear from the horse's mouth, then you really shouldn't be believing shit. You know what I mean? That's, that's the best way to think about it. Sure. Um, now, you had um, probably, I think, Matt Tremont's first feud in CZW. Tremont has been absolutely tearing the indies apart. He's more or less, well, I mean, literally the king of the death matches. But, you know, I mean, he's won every death match tournament in the U.S., and you were pretty much his entrance into CZW. Shortly after he got there, he was feuding with you. What was your thoughts on, you know, Matt coming in and working with Matt? Matt is an amazing performer, an amazing deathmatch wrestler. If not, you know, he's one of the top deathmatchers today, and, you know, he's solidified himself as of all time of what he's done and what he did, and, and it's awesome. We got uh, put into this match, and we are both inexperienced. I think it was my second deathmatch. And he just came out. I think he did Deep South with Death Match, and he, he did that stuff. And he came to CW, murdered Pinky Sanchez right after the match with DJ. And we ended up getting put together. And we did the best we could for what we had. We, we were mm-hmm. trying to be, you know, we were original. We did the tables match. We, first, we did the, the hardcore fight and ended the power round. We threw a table to the floor, and then we did the tables match. And we came up with some original stuff. We wanted to do soda cans, cut in half on the table. I was like, let's put some Christmas bowls. We had the bar bar table out there. We did, I think, Kenzon. We just, you know, we went out and killed each other. And we were so yeah. experienced. And we, we did what we could for what we had. And overall, I'm happy with the match when we look back on it. And if we could have done if we could, one more time, if we could do that match today, where it's me and him now, it'd be tenfold better. You know, tenfold better. And, you know, you look back on it, it, it really, for our experience, we were in death matches. We held our own out there and, and just put stuff together. And, and he's an amazing fucking personality to be out there and the person to be in the ring with. He's awesome. Really, really just naturally comes to him. Um, you had some matches with Ron Mathis, too. And it, it seemed like a lot of what they were doing at the time in CZW, um, I mean, they were in the skate zone. And um, it, it didn't look like it had a lot of direction. It was almost like they put you guys in those matches just to be the death match on the show. Um, For sure. I, I yeah. thought... The, the matches were good, but well, you know, what were your thoughts on the booking and just overall the matches? As far as, you know, long-term, what are, what we're going into and what we're going to, I mean, honestly, we, you know, there was no structure for it, and it was kind of last minute put together, everything just, you know, I was tag team with random people every month, and I wasn't doing hardcore, and they were doing hardcore, and they 
Mathis came into the picture. And just to, just to backtrack a little bit, me and Dreamont went out there, and Dreamont just took off after that. And I went to Japan and, and came back from that negative situation, and it was just kind of downhill from there. You know, you look at our career, mm-hmm. and, and there's nothing against him. I mean, that's awesome for him. He did a great job, and he took off, and my, my career was going down, and, uh, you know, what I have or experience and try to make things and meet and we're just getting thrown into these matches, and matches comes in, and it's pretty much like, well, this is what we have. Let's put it together. Go out there and, and kill yourself, and good luck. You know, and we were trying to put stuff together. It's 2011, and I think that was right before Japan. We did that, maybe. We did that uh, tag match with the light tubes. Am I correct? It was me and Mathis. Yeah. Lucky and Danny Havoc. We did our 13. We did that match, and that match was actually went off pretty well. Um, I think aside from, like, to finish, which I'm happy about. I mean, we were about to get killed with light bulbs and double stopped, and one of the light bulbs didn't break, and I was totally cool with that. You know, I didn't die. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. other than that, the match came off good. It was fun, and it was just kind of like, you know, just throwing together stuff, and DJ just, you know, let's put them together. Let's see what happens. And these are the young guys, and going against the experience, I mean, the experienced guys and the veterans, and with Danny Havoc and Asian Foundation. And I think we're going into 2012 was where I ended up wrestling Mathis one-on-one, if I'm correct, and after uh, at best of the best, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think that was. This might have, this might have been post that, actually. This might have been 2013 already. Okay. This might have been best of the, the best, uh, I think, yeah. The Sorry. pod driver on the, uh, the, the car rail, the yeah. Car so I, I, was pretty, I was pretty upset because TOD was coming up, and I was like, well, am I in it or not? DJ, and he, he was, I was not in it at the time, and the idea of Mathis was going into the spot. And then, you know, I'm out here killing myself. I'm the CZW guy. I'm the turn, you know, the, from the school, I'm killing myself in these matches. And Mathis is, you know, he's doing good and he's getting his shots. And I, I'm, you know, a bit jealous about it at the time. I was pissed. And uh, the match was whoever wins. The, I think it was funny. It was like, if Mathis wins, he's in TOD and nothing else. That was the stipulation in the match. It wasn't if Rory wins, he's in TOD. It's if Mathis wins, he's in TOD. <laughs> That was the situation. Yeah. I was like, that's fucking stupid. I was like, why would you say that? Like, what are you fucking retarded? And uh, we did the same thing <laughs> right. with the weapons match. And uh, I don't know. Do you want to backtrack? That was before. That was Tommy Dream and Matt Tremont. That whole triple tag, the triple threat that I came back to the second time and just completely shit the bed. And then, uh, yeah. And then that match, that match, me and Matt, just, uh, you know, I can just skip that match. We went to, went to shit. And then me and Matt just had that fans in the weapons match. And it was fucking, it came off awesome. You know, we together in a second. We had all these weapons in there. I jumped them. On type, just fucking everything came off great. It was just trying to be original and fun. We're in a fans of the weapons match. We had the flower spot, whatever it was. And the finish was just, we were coming up with a finish. And I was like, dude, I was like, I want you to fucking kill me. You know what I mean? I, I literally, we did the, the tombstone bows out to the guardrail. And you can see in the pictures, his knees go through the guardrail. And my head breaks it. It's not, you know, it isn't a joke. It isn't just me selling the fucking thing hyping it up you can see in the pictures and I, there's proof of it you know it's fucking bizarre because yeah. I joked around I was like yeah hey, what's the worst that's going to happen you'll slip and my head will break the guardrail and that's what happened I had snapped the actual guardrail you know luckily they were like hollowed out metal but still nonetheless the guardrail and he, he, he fucking really tombstone me it was pretty crazy <laughs> yeah pretty crazy. yeah but, um, you know, from all your Japan stuff, I mean, you went over there. I know you didn't have the greatest of times, at least the first trip around. But, I mean, you got in the ring with Kasai, Takeda, Tommy, and Ito, Masada. I mean, 
I mean, so many guys. What was your favorite moments or matches that you've had over there in Japan? Just, um, you know, the first one was what it was. I had the amazing, I was so lucky to be a Corbin Hall and wrestler there in the tag match. Um, again, I was nowhere near ready for that match, but I was in there with people that were fucking phenomenal. It was me and Devin tagging against fucking uh, Sonobu and your sister Suzaki, who's one of the trainers. And those guys are fucking amazing. You know, we put on a tight match, and, and uh, they pulled it together great. And that was one of the, my most memorable moments, you know, wrestling in the legendary Corgan Hall. I get to, you know, yeah. live out a dream. And that's, that's the Madison Square Garden of Japan and one of the top places you can wrestle. So to be able to wrestle there was a dream come true on the first time and so many other matches. And then the second time, I got to just do so many individual matches that I'll never even see. They weren't videotaped, you know, they weren't recorded because they do so many shows. And, and I got to wrestle Ito in a single death match. I got to, you know, wrestle Daisuke Sekimoto, who, who was took me under his wing. And I can't thank that guy. Hey, oh, my God, it's just amazing. You know, that dude called me today and was like, yeah, I need something done. I'd fly over there just to help him. That's what he did for me over there and just yeah. helped me and, and just you know, took care of me and trained me. Being in the Big Japan Dojo and put matches with that, wrestling in the ring because I mean, all their names are just everyone's a name, and everyone's just awesome to be in the ring with. Everyone is fucking dream come true, you know, to be over there. I can't really pinpoint too many one things, and <laughs> so many great things to be over there. Fucking, it's just, yeah. it's just amazing. Yeah, I wish that's yeah. the idea. I wish I had them on video just to see, them. just to see how they were. Sure. And, you know, it's just just a just a great learning experience to be in there. And it's all about dead matches. And when I came back, it's just a totally different person every time from Japan, how it just improved me, improved me in the ring and it, my quality of wrestling. It's just, it's because of being able to go over there and really just turn it up over there. 2013 in um, Beyond Wrestling, you wrestled Kimberly. Um, obviously, you know, Kimberly and uh, Dickinson got the big incident all exposed. And what's your thoughts on intergender wrestling overall? And how do you feel about that incident? Um, I think intergender wrestling is awesome. I mean, uh, I'm not a feminist, but I'm all for equality. <laughs> you look at it that way, and if a girl wants to get in there, and it's just, you, you have to think logistics, you know, how, what's logic about us being in the ring with certain people, you know? There's certain females in wrestling that can legit fucking beat my ass, probably. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I, I'm not going but she'd probably fucking murder me. You know, she's a fighter. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with pro wrestling. You know, if I'm in there with certain people, there's, there's legit fighters and there's legit wrestlers. And Kimberly's an amazing talent, and she's tough. Sure. And we really focused the entire match about how tough she was. And, and it's almost like a death match. How much shit you take and kick out and keep coming back. And we focused that whole idea around that match. And I took my learnings from death matches and, and incorporated into a great wrestling match. And we went out there and wrestled. And everyone was into the match. And, and she did a fucking phenomenal job. And and she's one of the top female athletes in, in wrestling today. If you look at it and that, and the whole spot with murdering her, that's great. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you want to be in there with somebody who can murder you, then they're going to murder you. What do you expect? I mean, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, <laughs> I honestly as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're going to get in there and you want to have balls and, you know, you want to show, show that you're tough, then, then you know the risk of, of getting out there and doing what we're doing. And as far as people, you know, oh, that's horrible, oh, my God, like, good, like, good, that's fucking right. Murder, murder her, you know what I mean? If, if that's what it came down to, then I would have done the same thing. Like, good job, Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just didn't see a problem with it, and, you know, I always try to, you know, see how different people feel about it, because, I mean, some people are really outspoken and saying that, you know, he, 
he's horrible and he did this and that. But, I mean, he, he was built as an unstoppable force in the company prior to wrestling a girl, and they put her up against, him up against a girl. I mean, how is he supposed to portray himself in a match? Exactly. Yeah, what, do, what do you expect's gonna happen? I mean, should he go out there and 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 fucking just just fucking look like an idiot? No, like you're gonna go out there and you're gonna. I can fuck you up. I'm gonna fuck you up. What do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> like right. these dojo where matches, I, I've been. I just came back and I've been able to wrestle with dojo wars and I've had some opportunity to be in the ring with some great students and talent. And I I don't know what they think otherwise of me not hitting them hard or going after them. Like it's gonna happen. Like, if you think yeah. something else, then you're mistaken. You know, that's just how it is. If he was a fucking a fairy, if Chris Dickinson was a fairy and he did that, then it's a little shocking that he, he beat her up. But he's not a fairy. He's a monster. And that that went to his character fine. That was great. Yeah. Um, there was a story that came out, and it was uh, something that happened backstage. But um, after a tournament of deaths, apparently you joined the um, the uh, hit Brett Lauderdale uh group uh geez had uh, mentioned yeah. on his uh shoot that uh quite a few people have come in contact with brett in a, in a bad way and um i i don't like the fucking guy but um can you elaborate on what happened so i uh, i'm really you know out of respect that i don't have a problem with him today um i'm not friends with the guy i don't have an animosity towards him during the match right. uh that fire, that whole fire incident was almost, you know, not fucking planned at all. And at the time, I thought I was in the box on fire. And uh, I I have asthma, and I have never had an issue with it. And I was just thinking, because the barbed wire is in there, and I'm fucking trapped in barbed wire, and I couldn't get the box out. You know, I legit, like, you watched me try to get out the first time. I couldn't sit up. I was trapped in there. And all I was thinking, I was like, yeah. man, if the smoke gets in this box and I can't breathe right, I'll probably die for real. I just kept thinking right. about it. And the idea of the match is once the box closes, you're the referee, you should be counting. And I'm in the box, and I hear no counting. <laughs> I'm literally in the box like, are you fucking shitting me? I was like, holy fuck, <laughs> I think I'm on fire. Like, I think I'm on fire. I'm literally panicking in the box. I think the whole thing's up in flames. I have no idea it's not up in flames. I can't see it. And all the fucking, there's no TV in there telling me you're not up in fire, you know? And I'm like, right. the box closed. Why the fuck aren't you counting? I was like, you motherfucker. I started yelling at him. I was like, you motherfucker. I'm yelling for the box. You motherfuckers. <laughs> and after the match, I the match finally ended. I got out, I got out of the ring, and you just see him leave. He just walked out. And I, I'm looking over. I look at Danny Havoc, and it was just such an awkward finish. And he just throws his shoulders. And we went out there. We fucking killed ourselves. We had a, a fucking fairly decent, awesome first-round match with a fucking TOD. I thought, you know, the whole match, everything went great. Killed everything we did. You know, and I just look over, and I'm thinking, well, whose fault's that? I could have potentially died. Like, right. I really felt that way. I had no idea that the fire never engulfed in there. I thought I was at the flames. And all I was waiting for is to hear that count. It's like, it's like, I hope I get the fuck out and I'm not dead. And I don't die. And that's a life or death situation. Yeah. Uh, so I went into the back, and he was nowhere to be found. And uh, I'm really not going to elaborate on what happened post that. I'm not going to deny okay. that I'm not in the contact club. I'm not going to deny that I'm not in the contact club. I'm not going to deny that I have a pretty fucking hard right hand that I can probably knock somebody's face off with one punch. I'm not denying that. Right. But at the same time, I'm not admitting that that happened. So I'll just leave it That's at that. Good. That's can, cool. I'm going to say that, that Matthew put out a Botchamania clip and said it kind of looked something like this, and it was Mike Tyson's punch out. I'm going to say, you know, he's got a great imagination, and it 
probably was pretty accurate if something like that were to happen. Right. Just leave it at that, that, that that's what happened, and that if uh, anything were to happen, you know, thank God Nathan Bradley's in the back, and he's really strong and can, can hold somebody back. But that's about it. Right. I'll say yes or no. All right. Yeah. Um, up into the point of your um, your retirement, what um, if you had to make like a three match compilation, what would those three matches be? Three match compilation. I never really thought about that. Believe it or not, one of my favorites, me and Kimberly, I really fucking enjoyed that match when I watched it back and yeah. everything. You know, was just fun in that match, and it's a shame because before I retired, you know, what I'm doing now is I can wrestle. Like, I'm a fucking wrestler. I, you know, I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college. I coached it my entire life. And I never had that chance to really show that I can be a wrestler. You know, I've always went out and just did hardcore. And I've just got known right. for taking the crazy shit in the matches and, and doing this and that. And I got to wrestle her in that match. And it was phenomenal. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I would have to say my match right before that with Danny Havoc, we did the singles match where... Uh, and ended with him on a stretcher, and I double stopped him through it. I'd have to put that on there. And then you're, uh, you know, you're probably looking at if I'm going to pick a, the match, the cage of death. I mean, they're ultimately me going out, and and the whole the whole ending with Nick Mondo. I guess I'll right. throw those three on there. Um, I don't know. I wish I had, you know, myself personally. I wish I was better, you know, and what I've learned, and, and really just up until the end of the career, where those last six months, I, you know, I, I turned it up. And everything just started clicking, and, and the matches just started going good, and it was it was just one thing after the other. It just started going better and better and better, and and at that point I was just uh, set up. But those three matches, if I was going to put it out there, definitely I'd probably throw me and Kimberly, myself and uh, Danny Havoc, and then the Cage of Death matches from that last few months as, as far as my favorite personal matches. All right. Um, w- within the time that you were doing the death matches, and you were really going hard with it you really started to hit that stride to see what crazy stuff I could do. Now, you know the Mondo spot, the off the roof with Zandig spot. Was there ever, you know, a thought in your mind, like, let me go to that that length? Yes, 100%. Um, when I wrestled as the mystery partner with Devin Moore versus uh, Joker and Black G's in that match, uh, we were in a, a street fight style match, you know, a brawl, and I knew I was going to take a big bump. And I literally was like, what's the craziest thing I can think of? I was like, I was like, can we go? I asked him, can we go on the roof of the house? And he was like, no. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? I was like, is there a tree that I can climb that's fucking high enough that I can jump out of or, or fucking go off? Of? I, I thought of every possible thing that I could do to try to, you know, of course, the to top that is your, it's absolutely insane. You know, I knew I wasn't going to top it, but I, I right. tried to, you know, with, what's the best I can do with what I have? that situation I knew Japan was gonna be there and and uh you know, part of the reason I got booked was that match. They were in Big Japan was there and they were watching and and uh I even told Drew, I was like, watch, I'm gonna do the craziest thing on the show and uh hopefully they see it and you know, hopefully something happens out of this and I ended up having a decent match. I took the flip off the truck to a table and it was literally like they came over to me and were talking to me the whole time and and I think it was like two weeks later they contacted me. And then you know, contact DJ, they contacted me and were like, Hey, are you available in October? To set up for the first thing of um, me going over there. So I've always tried to, to top whatever I can do. Not necessarily you're going to top that shock value, that height and how dangerous it was. I mean, that could have gone so much better than it did, and they're so lucky that they didn't walk away dead. <laughs> you know, they walked away, right. period, I guess I could say, you know, and, and 
It's amazing. You know, they missed half the tables. They fucking went straight to the concrete from two stories. Did I ever want to take something like that and get hurt? No. But I definitely tried to be as original as possible in every kind of death match I could do. And every bump I wanted to take, I wanted it to be different. I just wanted to, to stand out because, like I said, you've seen everything. You, you, there's not much left that you can do. And it's just, if I can just come up with something different every time, then, then I'm happy with it. And, and that's, uh, it didn't have to be how big it was, but how different it was. And that was my goal when I was doing these death matches. Right. Um, now what led to you wanting to retire? Like what, you know, what was going on with you? You decided you're, you're going to wrap it up. The, Entire year when I came back from Japan and I had that, that match that went there with Tommy Dreamer, I just started having these negative thoughts about wrestling, and I was just so fed up with it. And it was just literally one thing after the other that I couldn't believe was going on and how I was being treated. And and uh, personally, wins and losses don't mean two fucking things. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's a fucking, you know what sure. I mean? It's nice to get a win. But actually, something that a lot of people don't know is I've never won a match in CZW. Ever. Wow. I've never had my hand raised in the wrestling ring of CZW till to this day as I myself winning a match. There's been disqualification. There's been tag teams where the other guys won the match or maybe gotten got off. But I've never pulled off a victory solely on myself to win the match. It's pretty, you know, wow. when you think about it. And it was just, I'm just getting this booking and it's just, just bury me, bury me, bury me. And and what really, you know, upset me was with how the booking was with DJ and uh, we're going in 2013, and I'm I'm ready to turn gears up. You know, I feel like I'm ready for it, and I actually feel good. And at that time, nobody had any faith in me, you know, because of the past experiences. And uh, we weren't we weren't uh, really going in any directions. And I was just like, dude, I gotta get out of this because it's just gonna get worse. I was like, this is you know, this is not for me now. And like, I pushed the limits. I'm hurt. I'm beat up. You know, I need to finish college. Like I was thinking about that. I was thinking about everything else. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be done with pro wrestling. And it, it actually started from that match with Tommy Dream when I returned and then just worked my way up. I was like, am I in tournament of death? And I wasn't in tournament of death actually that year. That that one where I ended up wrestling Drake, just by chance, um, I forget what happened. Somebody somebody got injured or somebody had a scare. It might have been Tremont with um, – actually had like a uh, a disease scare. And it wasn't a disease right. scare at all, and it got put out there. And it really is right, right. appendinitis he has. He has a serious issue with his appendix. And it goes off, and he's causing him issues. And he, he doesn't have any disease. He's completely clean. And fucking, mm-hmm. I had my drug, my blood test, and this really fucking pissed me off because I was the first person to do it. I went to my doctor myself, got my blood test, and thank God my, you know, I had my vaccines down when I was a kid or whatever it is, and it came up as hepatitis positive for antibodies, which means I'm positive for the vaccination, right? So when I gave DJ yeah. a copy that, this motherfucker tells everyone that I'm positive for hepatitis. <laughs> it says on the thing that I I have the vaccine. It says antibodies, which means vaccinated for any of these diseases. I can't get them. You know what I mean? Yeah. The word went around that he started telling people immediately, you know, it's another thing where it's, you don't talk to me first, you go and run your mouth, and he ended up saying something about it, and people started hitting me up like, dude, you're fucking this and that. You know what I mean? And it was like, what the fuck? And, it, you know, just to see him say that about me, and then it was about Tremont, and then I I wasn't scheduled to be in tournament death, and, and the match has gotten put, put in tournament death. I was pretty upset with it because we sure. you know, we put off that match with the, the, the fans and the weapons, and I wasn't upset towards Mathis. 
this has nothing to do with Rob Mathis, you know what I mean? It's not his his choosing. He's right. trying to make a living just like I am and trying to make a name for himself. This is clearly management. And uh, yeah. I was just like, you know, what the fuck? And it's just even more ironic because I wasn't supposed to be in TOD and nothing was planned for me. And then Tangle Web, I was scheduled to be in a six-man or another five-man. I think I did one two months before. And I was in another one. And that's when Drake and Scotty ended up not coming to CCW for the show. So I literally walk into the building. I had no idea about this. Devin Moore is on top of the scaffold. And he's like, hey, Rory, get the fuck up here. And I, he's like, come up here real quick. I came up top. He's like, uh, main event, we're doing it. It's me, me and uh, Danny Havoc and uh, fucking, what's his name? Um, Lucky versus you, right. Matt, this and Drew Blood. Just like that, just like change around. So now I just went from not being booked, you know, wanting to be in any angles or use me, and I'm thrown into the uh, main event of Tangle Web. So we we ended up doing the promo pre-show, and fans were into it. And that match couldn't have went better for me because I did that match, and everything in that match just fucking went to the point of bumps were smooth, the entire match flowed, and I just really was like, this is my moment. I'm going to fucking make the best of the situation. You know, I wasn't planning to be in anything like this, but I'm giving the opportunity. I'm not going to fucking drop it like before. And I just turned my gears up. We did a post-match promo with me and Danny Havoc, where he, the first time the fans chained my name. You know, he, he finally right. fucking shows respect towards me after that match. And he puts his hand out, and I just smack him in his face. You know, what a heel fucking moment right there. And that was it. And yeah. it was just like, I, I, it just clicked in my head. I was like, this is wrestling. This, this finally makes sense to me. I was like, I understand it now. And uh, everything after that just started flowing from that Tangle Web match. And it just went perfect. And then they're like, holy shit. Like, Rory's actually like ready to do this stuff. And and everybody went from not wanting to use me to wanting me to be in, you know, in the, into the angles now and, and what we can go from. So, but at that point, were you pretty much done already? You're yeah, I, I was still, like, now I'm, like, teetering, te- 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 do I stay, do I leave, do I stay, do I leave? And pretty much I was just waiting for the opportunity of when I can leave. You know, I was like, yeah, I'm doing good now, I'm doing good now, but at the same time I was like, I'm just going to get hooked again. I was like, I don't want to get my hopes up and stay in here, and and uh, it's not going to go well. And uh, we just kept, I just kept thinking, I was like, when can I do this? When can I, I didn't tell anybody, you know, I wasn't going to tell anybody. I was like, I'm going to walk in on my terms. And I just wanted to, you know. Nothing was going my terms, you know what I mean? I, my booking, I had no say in anything. I wasn't winning matches. Yeah. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. I was just so fed up with it. I've been here, you know, not that I'm owed anything. I've been here eight years, and I would just like fucking something to happen. Something fucking please. And it's just yeah. nothing. I was like, well, if you're not going to do anything, then I'm going to at least be a man about it and walk out on my own terms. And uh, I just kept thinking, you know, when can we do this? When can we do this? Yeah. So Cajun Death comes up, and you know, um, Armando had you know told the story, but um, you know, your story on how did it all come about that Nick Mondo was going to be involved in your retirement? What was your plans? What were you looking to do in that match? So there was literally no plan with Nick Mondo at all involved in this match. I just had it in my head that uh, I'm going to retire. Nobody's going to know about it. And uh, I'm just gonna make it happen. We're just gonna. I'm just gonna figure this out. And I had that awesome match with Danny Havoc. We, you know, we did that fucking one match, singles match, and everything was just perfect in that match. Everything just so perfect right now. It's just so funny because I'm ready to walk away, and everything couldn't be going better. You know, it's like finally yeah. everything's going perfect. Everything's going perfect. Everything's going perfect, and we got to take the death. And 
we had uh, the match, you know, the, we were going to do Cage Death now, which wasn't even planned. You know, it was, it was until fucking the night, you know, I think after that match, we decided we're, we're the Cage match, and and uh, they did the, everyone had their own matches. Everything, that whole storyline was just flowing too perfectly for just being thrown together with Drake and Scotty not showing up. You know, everything's just yeah. flowing. And we get to the Cage match, and I, in my head, I'm like, this is it. I'm out. I'm out after this match. I was like, this is my moment. You know, it's Cage of Death. There's no bigger platform I can do it on. And everyone else at the time thinks that I'm going to do a post-match promo, and I'm just dropping the character of Rory Mondo, a little Mondo. And I was, that was All the plan. Right. I was just going to drop it, and the next month I was going to debut as Rory Gulak and come out as Rory Gulak on the January show. And everyone, that's the only thing that everyone knew about. So... I'm talking to Mondo. He calls me like four days before, and he's like, hey, you know, you're going to cage your death. He's like, what's the plan for the finish? And I didn't even tell him at the time I was, you know, retiring right away. It was like I was going to say it to him, you know. So I'm talking to him, and I was like, well, I'm going to take two weed whackers. I was like, what's the one thing, you know, that I can go out on a bang with? Like the biggest thing, I was like, at this point, I had no regard for my body. You know, every match is like, I just wanted to do every gimmick, every fucking match until I retired, and I can go out saying I did everything. You know, I did the barefoot yeah. thumbtacks. I did fucking Kenza. I did anything you did in those six months, I did it. You know, you look back, I did it. And uh, so I was like, what's the one thing I haven't done? The weed whacker. And, you know, I was like, this is, you know, case of death. It hasn't been done in a long time. Who, who better is to take it than me? We teased it with Danny Havoc. You know what I mean? We teased it there with Danny Havoc. I came out with, the, with whatever, the weed whacker with him. We go into case of death. And yeah. like, what do you want to do for the finish? And I was like, well. The uh, thing we uh, we came up with was I was going to take uh, not only one weed whacker, and I was like, well, you took one weed, weed whacker, i got to turn it up a notch, I'm going to take two. I was going to take it to the stomach. Whatever happens, I was going to take it to the back, and that's the finish of the match. And that's how I go yeah. out. And post-match, I told him, I was like, I'm going to grab the microphone, and I'm literally just going to say thank you for everything. This is my last match, and walk out. And that was the idea. And he's like, he's like, Rory, he's like, you're not taking the weed whacker. <laughs> And he's telling me this on the phone. And I was like, dude, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm taking the weed whacker. I was like, I don't give two shits right now. I was like, I don't care how bad this hurts. I was like, I'm going out, doing the craziest thing I can possibly do to go out with. And uh, he's like, what do I have to do to get you to not take the weed whackers? And joking around, he's like, all right. He's like, what if I come out and uh, I'll stop the weed whackers from being you? And we just kind of laughed for a second, you know what I mean? Just like, ha ha, you know, that's funny, yeah, because 10 years, the dude never came back, wanted to come back. And uh, yeah. He's like, no, I'm dead serious. He's like, if I come out there, he's like, and we do an angle, he's like, he's like, real quick, he's like, how about we do it? And you don't take the weed whackers. I was like, you come back. I was like, I won't take the weed whacker. I was like, done. Just like that. You come yeah. back. I was like, he's like, you do it. I was like, fuck it. I was like, if I'm going to retire and you're going to come back, I was like, I'm not going to take the weed whacker. I don't have to. I was like, here's the moment right. right there. Here's the big moment. And uh, he's like, Rory, I was, he's like, look, I'm scheduled. He's coming home to meet family from Japan. And he ended up talking to DJ right after that and get his flight changed. And he uh, he got his flight moved back a week so he could be here for Cage of Death. He flew in, I think it was Thursday night. Um, or maybe even it was like Friday day. I picked him up. We hung out. Saturday, I went into my dad's restaurant because I'm a fucking man. And my dad had a restaurant. And uh, I got catering for everybody before Cage of Death. And we brought it to the show. We showed up there. And nobody had any idea except for like one or two people that Mondo was going to be there. And it was just like, holy shit, Nick Mondo's actually here. And then not only is Nick Mondo here, he's in the fucking match. And it was just like a total fucking holy shit moment for everybody. You know, everybody, yeah. even people in our match didn't know about it. Tremont was like, that's fucking Nick Mondo. You know, everybody was just like, holy shit. And, uh, 
I'm just like, yeah, I was like, nobody knows I'm going to retire still. Everyone just knows that he's here to help me drop the gimmick and be back for the kids' death moment. You know, it'd be a fucking awesome. Here they find their season case match. He walks out. It's the equivalent, I guess, of The Rock walking out in CDW. So I'm like, it's yeah. either Stone Cold who will walk out, and, and you'll never hear a louder reaction in independent wrestling period to that. That was the craziest thing ever. You know, I'm in the ring, and you just hear everyone get up, and it's just so surreal because you hear my music play again, and it's like, ironically, before the match started, my music got fucked up. So like, what the fuck's going on? They never had a fourth guy. Mondo walks out. All right. Uh, ends up helping Lucky win the match, and then we go into our shtick with uh, retirement. And yeah. uh, we just, um, you know, just to go, just to finish that up, we just, uh, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my brother. I didn't tell DJ. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. And uh, we did the promo. He's like, I respect you. And and everything there was just crazy because I watched it back, and I was so concussed on this match when I took that fall at the finish there, my head just, went through the table. It's like if you watch the slow motion, lucky it's there, they crash, I'm just crashing down. I, I was completely concussed on that. It might have been that, or even when they did the uh, chair shot with the three chair, uh, six chairs taped together, just completely hit me and knocked me loopy. And I just started yeah. watching the match, and I'm trying to remember what to say and like think of something to say. But we had like kind of like what to do, and everything was just like flowing out of me. And it, and it just ended up, the crowd, there's obviously some people that aren't going to be happy with what happened, but, you know, fuck them, you know. But then I, the yeah. reaction we got was what we thought, and there's still people to this day saying that was the greatest moment of reaction in, in uh, professional wrestling because it was real. And you look back at me and Drake and and what we did out there, and it was real. And you look back at, at the, the Mondo moment, it was real, really shit happening, you know what I mean? Like, nobody fucking respected me. Nobody had any faith in me to be there. And uh, Mondo, the whole time, you know, always had my back, and he fucking respected me, and he came out, and we did that angle. And it went all perfect. I put the microphone down. I went into the back. Um, I grabbed him. We went and took pictures. Next thing I know, I was in a shower for one hour because of how concussed I was. Uh, I came out. Yeah. Everyone was gone. Everyone was gone. I looked at DJ. I was like, hey, I just want to let you know. I was 100% on the microphone. I was legit. This is my last, last time I'll ever be here. I was like, thank you for everything. Packed my shit, and I left. And that was it. And wow. it's still, like, people didn't believe me after the show that that was actually a real retirement. They thought I was just dropping a character, and that's how I did it. And nobody believed yeah. that I was really retiring. Drew didn't believe it. Like, nobody, like, actually thought. I was, I was like, yeah, I'm, that's it. I'm done. That's it. Uh, yeah, it's not often that KJDF ends in a feel-good moment. <laughs> so, yeah. Was, uh, I mean, it was, was it, the moment. Like I said, some people will be upset about it always, and it's whatever it is what it is. But I had my moment. You know, I had my my moment to, to walk out on my terms and, and that's all I cared about. I just kept saying, I was like, yeah, I'm going to cut a promo with Bill, we'll do it. And everybody was like, cool, cool, cool. And it wasn't like, you know, it could have went, every, it could have went 10 times better to finish. You know what I mean? We could have done me ended up winning the cage of death and, and fucking having the moment where we stare down this, that, and the third, whatever happened, happened. And, you know, we could have done it better, but the promo itself and how that came off and the finish of me retiring me couldn't have gone any better. Picking her up on my shoulders. He picked me up. You were there when I was a little kid getting picked up on the shoulders. You saw that moment. Oh yeah. As much as people hated me, it's like, how happy were you guys for me to, to be sitting there with my hero's shoulders when I was a little kid? And then you walk, 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 watch me walk out of wrestling on top of his shoulders. It's good. It wasn't any better. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, you know, fast forward to now. And, um, I mean, you had the big moment, the big send-off, the big everything. You know, you're Nick Mondo out there to send you off and everything else. Um, you make the decision to come back. How did you make the decision, first off? So I had no intentions of coming back to professional wrestling. 
I was completely retired. I graduated from college from Temple University. I got to wrestle for Temple, started the wrestling team there back up. Um, I And wrestling was just like, the only time it was ever in my mind is because when I talked to Drew, and, and that was it. I didn't keep contact with, like, barely anybody. It was rare that I talked to people from wrestling. And, uh, you know, I kept up on Facebook, and we, we would talk about it. I'd post, like, Throwback Thursday or, or this or that. And I literally had no intention of coming back to professional wrestling. But we queue, uh, we queue forward to uh, this this kid I meet end up at a wrestling tournament uh, in Pennsylvania. And this guy, Rob Dimension, comes over to me. And I've met him before. And he comes over, and he's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm coaching a wrestling tournament. And he's like, oh, my son Rob wrestles for Wish of the Hicken. And, uh, you know, I know and I'm, he's training now at CZW. And I was like, oh, get out of here. He's 14 at the time. We're at this tournament. And then I'm talking. And like, you know, he's like, the top of the boss coming back. And sometimes I got him back and like, I'm never coming back. I'm done. And uh, I ended up coming, talking to Rob. And he started, I said, you know, come down, I'll train you in amateur wrestling. And I was like, you know, he's training, he's having some trouble. And, Wanted to get better, and I have a lot of connections and you know, great coaching experience. So I was like, all right, and we came down and we started training together, and we were just training. And, and this kid is, you know, me. I was 14 years old <laughs> when I started. I know exactly what this kid's going through, and um, yeah. he's so talented, and he's got so much a uh, bright future. And I'm working with him, and never complains, and he's works hard. And I really was separated from pro wrestling, amateur wrestling with him, but then I find out he's doing amateur wrestling gimmick in pro wrestling. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe I'll help him give some tips and, and we could figure out some, some ideas for him to get better in pro wrestling and because he's doing amateur gimmick, how we can incorporate that. And uh, lo and behold, I end up, like, maybe a couple of weeks before the decision to come back, I, I went down to school solely. Break it up solely a little bit. I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so I came, came in there solely in intentions just to work out with him just to, to, to work out in the ring and really just help him out in the ring. Sure. And, uh, we did it. We did it a couple of times, and it was completely like, hey, if you see me here, like, nobody fucking say a word because I'm not here right now. I was like, I'm really, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't want anybody to think I'm coming back. I was like, I was like, you know, DJ high and bye, and that was it. And it was just, you know, I was there with Drew and Rob. And that's all the reason I was there. And uh, we keep coming up with these ideas, and I'm just like, uh, you know, now I'm teetering the ideas of coming back to you know, I didn't know how to be at this point, but I do want to be at this point because we started teasing online, you know, if, what, what if what if I come back? And people started reacting to it on Facebook and, and Internet, and people were saying stuff, and, and it ended up blowing up bigger than I expected of people reacting if I came back. And, you know, everybody says I still have one more, and in my heart I know I've obviously won more. I left on, you know, way before I even peaked in wrestling, could potentially peaked in, in where I was at, and everything was going good, and I left on that high note, and... So we keep teasing it, we keep teasing it, what we can do. And I was like, oh, I just really just didn't want to do it. I don't want to come back. I was like, I'm graduating college. I was like, I just want to focus on this. Uh, going to, you know, a career, whatever I have to do. And lo and behold, if I do this, nobody can know a thing about this. That's what I said. You know, nobody can know anything about this. And if one peak gets out, I'm not doing it. I was like, I won't come out. I was like, I won't do anything. And fucking... Uh, it was so hush hush that I was coming back to the point where I walked out about five minutes before I was supposed to walk out through the entrance, and I came out in the back wearing the complete mask and the complete gimmick. Nobody had any idea in the locker room it was me. The only person who knew about it was that little Kurt Robinson, 
you walk me into the back because I haven't been in the arena since we were done. And I stood by the curtain, and I was just waiting for my cue to go out there. I haven't talked to Gage. I haven't talked to anybody. I was just waiting for my cue to go out there and do, do what I had to do. And because of the fact that it was kept so private and kayfabe and, you know, just silent about it, that that's the only reason why I actually came back. I wanted to see if I can trust the people I was going to be working with, that if I'm going to, if I'm going to trust them to, to come back into pro wrestling, I need them to trust me in pro wrestling. And uh, that was my yeah. test. And everything was complete hush-hush. Nobody had any idea. People walking over like, who's that? Everyone in the locker room, only people that knew were, you know, BJ or Kurt Robinson, Rod Dimension, his dad, and then uh, Drew and, uh, and uh, Nick Gage and Irving. And that was it. And I was like, what can we do to come out? I was like, you know, let's fucking dump gasoline on Nick Gage. Let's uh, unveil me as the mask. You know, take the mask off and... And I came out there, and the only thing I can't remember, I, was, I looked around, I was like, damn, that's a lot of people out there. I was like, that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of forgot that I had this distinctive Mondo stance that I just naturally occurred over the years of how I stand, and, and people were kind of saying my name when I was out there. And yeah. uh, we went through the plan, and the promo was set, and, and the mask came off, and people kind of already knew it was me, so it didn't have that shocking moment. Um, right. Everything went off to, to to what we what we could have thought it was going to go off, and I watch it now online, and I'm really excited and happy of how everything looked. You watch it, and you watch it as a promo online. It's like, holy shit, this is crazy. He's lighting them on fire. You know, we took gasoline, dumped them all in the ring. And, uh, right. I'm in there with the – Nick Gage just returned several months ago, and then, yeah, a couple months ago, and he's feuding my brother in one of the biggest feuds ever that in the CZW. And here comes me now in a fucking another curveball of – of what the endless possibilities now that we can do in this. And, and I came out there and it, was, it went off good and and just getting back into it. That's it. It's really yeah. just getting back into everything. So now, you know, second second time around coming back, you know, new, you know, new look and everything, you know, shedding the little Mondo gimmick. And now you're, you're Rory Gulak. What's, what's the plan this time around? Is it less death match? Is it anything? I mean, I, my first thought would be less death match, but the first thing you do is pour gasoline on Nick Gage. I, I don't think you're avoiding the death match. I know. I was. I, we kind of laugh about it. I kind of laugh now that I was like, well, you know, if I'm starting a fire, I guess, you know, you're playing a fire, you can get burned. Um, do I ever want to do another death match? No. Um, of course, we did the fire to be extreme. The gasoline is extreme. And honestly, that's something that, you know, Nick Gage put his life on the line several times, you know, and he's a tough guy and you know, he was back in the ring several times and one of them was fired. And I was like, Well what's one thing that this fucking dude who's literally murdering everybody on the independence team, if we're gonna stop him, what's one thing that could possibly stop him? Like literally what am I gonna All stop right. Nick Gage with, right? You're talking about Chris Dickinson being a monster. What can I stop Nick Gage with? He beat the shit out of Chris right. Dickinson. Light the motherfucker on fire. And uh <laughs> we beat him down and it's just and it's the only thing that you could possibly do to to bring that fucking realism out, and, and that's it. And so we did that, and honestly, we have nothing, nothing short of fucking match structure playing. There's no death matches lined up. There's none of that. It's you know we're gonna find out Saturday what's gonna happen. And I'm just as just as in your boat as you're in my boat right now with what's going on Saturday. I know I'm gonna be with Drew. Whatever we do, we do. And that's that's how it's gonna be. I I don't intend to do a death match. I don't want to do hardcore. Right. I want to show that I can wrestle. And I intend to, you know, I, I actually just got to, literally today I got my brand new wrestling singlet that I get to debut. 
for Saturday. It says amazing on it. To the amazing Gulex for uh, Drew and I. And it has my name I, on it. And I got fucking brand new, as everyone's saying, moon Moonwalker wrestling boots because they're nice shiny silver. And uh, yeah. we got a, we got brand new amazing Gulex t-shirts ready for Saturday. And, and we're just ready to go out there and that people have wanted to see, you know, talked about for years and joked around about. That's it. We're doing it. Like now, that was the original plan, and and uh, we're just gonna, you know, if we got a fight, we got a fight. You know, you're talking to to me, who's done death matches, anywhere from death matches to amateur, you know, greatness, and, and Drew, who's yeah. one of the t- greatest technical wrestlers out now, and done death matches to greatest tech. Anything can happen any of the matches. And we're obviously experienced and prepared for anything. So whatever happens Saturday. It's uh, whatever comes down, comes down to it. So, uh, you know, what are you trying to this time around? What are you trying to accomplish? Who, you know, are there guys that you want to wrestle this time that you didn't get a chance to the first time? Are you trying to tear the tag team scene up? You know, what's what's your goals now coming back into wrestling? Every match I have has to be, I just want to have a good match. And uh, whether it's I'm tagging with Drew, I'm putting an individual match, I'm with a student, whatever it is, I just want to have a good wrestling match. I just want to be happy and satisfied with where I'm at before I go any further. Um, that's ultimately going to decide of, of ultimately if this is the right path. Am I doing the right thing coming back and making that decision? And I, I'm in the greatest shape of my life right now. I feel so great. Uh, my look is good. I feel great. Everything is just this, that. And, and now we're coming in there and me and Drew tag and I couldn't be happy to be in the ring with him. And I, I know he's happy to have me out there. And, and we, uh, we get along pretty well as far as wrestling goes actual brothers, you know, sure. had a nice history, but as far as wrestling goes, we get along well in the ring, and, and we see eye to eye on stuff, and I think we're going to put on, hopefully, some fucking amazing, you know, something new to the tag team divisions, and, and show our stuff, our strengths, our amazingness, that's a, that's why we're calling ourselves the amazing Gulex. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, that's that's pretty much all I got, man, I'm, I'm glad to see you coming back, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Saturday, and, um, yeah, man. If there's anything else you want to put out there, floor is yours, man. Yeah, just uh, I appreciate that. Thanks for everything, uh, J. Cat. You know, if you're hearing this live again, this is the first time I've ever spoken about it. And I, I was way more than I expected that we were going to cover it. We literally covered, you know, if you're going to summarize my documentary, we just summarized it in a very little field. We left a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff that would be unheard, but you just covered everything. That was great. And uh, it's Saturday. We're, we're coming out to kick some ass. So if Mickey wants to run his ass, you know, he better be ready for it. Get the Flyer Skate Zone boys retribution title thirty. I think they're doing for pre-show matches. Something with the yep. they're, they're testing something out for pay-per-view style, and uh, you know our plans to be going to pay-per-view. And it just if there's a time to come back to professional wrestling, this is it. This is this is a, you know something big's happening, and it's just going to grow. And not only is CCW growing, there's a company called Marvelous Pro Wrestling that I just want to put out there that's, that's coming back and sure. uh, is starting in America and producing a guy who is. A Japanese legend, you know, who's wrestled forever and trained so many people and is just one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. You know, I you hear all the high best look at being in Japan and this one of the top freaking wrestlers ever for, for female wrestling. And female wrestling over there is totally different. Like, they're, you know, they're here and, you know, not much different, but it's different. And uh, this is one of the top. And she's coming out. She wants to start a promotion called Marvelous Pro. And it was really awesome because I kept hearing about it, and I, I found out that there's a ton of CZW students that are, uh, that have been through the academy that are getting involved in their show. And she did a tryout, and they did really well. And she wants to use them. And there's possible talks of you know them going to Japan and stuff. And 
in the first show, they're having this fun day in Queens, New York. And uh, I was down there, and Sunni Sakai came down to the CW County to work out with some of the girls. And she saw me there, and I haven't seen her. I, I trained with Sumi when I was a kid in Jakarta when I was 14 years old. We were, we were having shoot fights. And I'm running to Sumi, and, and we're talking, and she's like, Rory, like, what are you doing on, on the ninth? I was like, I'm free. And she's like, please, like, we'll do the show. And uh, next thing I know, it's me and DJ versus uh, the um, – they're known as the Dub students, the Dub boys, who are phenomenal athletes. They called in Dave McCall, you know, the past couple right. of years really stepped up. And I think they're a great on-top potential producing a guy sees that in them. She's training with them and, and they have so much to offer other than being fucking just out there security and, and they have two great opportunities this weekend. One is introducing the guy and Watanabe from Nujika uh, in the ring at the CZW show which I'm so excited to watch these matches. Like I'm I'm so pumped aside for my match <laughs> that one time match because it's gonna be something I think it's gonna be something that people aren't expecting and, and they're just gonna tear the house down. I'm really excited. They're they're fired up, they trained hard and then Sunday, they're going to have their test, their hands full with me and DJ because I'm going out there. I don't know if you fucking heard, but Mick Foley is coming to the show on Sunday in Queens, Elkhorn, for, for to watch this. He's, he's friends with uh, fucking Chikusa Nagayo, and there's just so many people out there, and it's, it's going to be amazing coming out to watch both shows. And if anybody wants to talk to me about it on, on uh, Saturday, I can get them tickets. Please, please, I'm out to support these shows. Like, Wrestling is a good time. It's a good time to be part of wrestling. I'm happy to be back. I'm really excited. I just want to uh, just go out there and tear everything up. And if you haven't noticed or heard about it, I'm I'm going to be uh, tearing a lot of things up. And anybody's in my path, that's it. Just be ready. Just be ready for a match. Thank you for having me tonight, Jake. And I, I appreciate it. And sorry we started a little late, but I, thank you for getting everything in, man. It was awesome. Good to talk to you. <laughs> no problem, man. Anytime. Thanks Thanks again for coming on. And have a good night. We'll see you Saturday. Sounds good, man. Say hi to uh, the wife and kids, man. I'll see you soon. Will do. Have a good night, man. Alrighty. Take care. Bye. Yeah. So there you go. You know, a little late, but, yo, know, good stuff. Rory Gulak back on the show. It's been a long time, and, um, you know, he's, he's back in action. So he's got a lot to put out there, and uh, we're going to see it all. So, uh, you know, starting Saturday tagging with his brother. His brother has made leaps and bounds of improvement over the years to be one of the best technical wrestlers in the wrestling business today. So um, you can only imagine, you know, what Rory could accomplish alongside of his brother and go in the route of wrestling. And, you know, like you said, he's an actual wrestler. So that's that's not like a, a far leap from him whatsoever. So um, to, to have an early part of a career that's, uh, you know, deathmatch-based and then form a whole second career following that that's um you know a technical wrestling based uh career and uh able to do many other things and you know you never know like you said anything's possible so um i think that's all i got uh you know so uh i'll talk to you guys next week i uh will have on matt tremont so uh yeah that's that's pretty much that talk to you guys later peace you're all a bunch of fucking assholes you know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So... 
Hola, my view. Good. You're not good. You just know how to hide. Me, I don't have that problem. Me, I always tell a truth, even when I lie. So say good night to the bad guy. I'm gonna tell you something straight off the motherfucking press. I ain't coming for no food. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.